I've been loving my eight sleep. How about you guys? Loving it. Dropping that temperature it. down a little bit. Yeah. I don't sweat in my bed anymore. I'm not like peeing mm. my bed when I sleep anymore. It's crazy. Joel, you ever experienced these, uh, these like new mattress tops that, that some of the companies make and it helps uh, lower your body temperature? You ever mess with those things? I have not, no. Damn, they're, they're oh, fucking man. sweet, man. Yeah. Just you wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll dive into some. We'll dive into some sleep with you in a minute. Yeah, I can't I wait to dive into his. Bed. Wait, no, yep. just his sleep, not his bed. Yeah, but don't. don't I've lie. been noticing. Uh, it's been making a big difference for me uh, with my sleep, and I keep kind of almost forgetting about it since it's just on the bed and it's lowering the temperature. But uh, my sleep has been vastly improved uh, since incorporating it. So it's been as simple as just putting a top on top of my bed and just setting uh, some of the settings to what I thought was comfortable for me. And it's been working awesome. And the mattress topper can go like as low as 55 degrees or as high as 110. But mm-hmm. I like to keep my shit cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing is like with eight sleep, you have the topper and the mattress or because Mark already liked his mattress. He just was like, I'm just going to use the topper on my mattress. So you could go either way if you already like the mattress you have at home. But Man, it's great not sweating when I sleep, and it's great just like I fall asleep faster because my mattress temperature is cooler, and Joel, it changes through the night. Joel, in your book, uh, Immunity Code, you talk about some tricks to help get to sleep, and I believe one of them was uh, some sort of thermal regulation through uh, like just running your hands under water or something like that, right? Yeah, it's heating the extremities. So you heat the extremities, you cool the core. Mm. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So you heat up your hands, and because you heated up your hands, your body kind of reacts to it by kind of cooling down. Is that somewhat? Am I getting that somewhat correct? Yeah. It's so uh, the direction of temperature is going to flow one way or the other. So if you actually cool the extremities, what you'll notice is that heat will flow from the extremities into the core. Mm. So like when you're really cold, your body's going to try and heat the core up. Mm-hmm. Right. When you cool the extremities, it's the opposite. So it's and it, I, I like things that are easy to prove. Um, you can prove this one either way. So the opposite of it is just during the day, putting your hands in like ice water, cold ice, mm. and you get super energized. Right. Doing that. You get very energized. Like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the opposite. So you heat the hands up, you heat the feet up uh, right at bedtime, and mm. then you, you get a nice little like calming down, cools the core a little bit. Yeah. yeah. This ends up being really nice because when you lay in your bed, as soon as you lay down, you get the kind of warmth and comfort of your blanket, but then you get some coolness of the actual bed itself mm-hmm. depending on like what temperature you want to set it up but for me uh i'm a sweaty pig so i like to uh have it be pretty cold when i go to bed yeah my favorite thing thus far well, all of it's my favorite thing but the one thing that's like really really been beneficial for me has been the fact that it'll wake you up like um you set like a certain time like i have mine set for like 4 30 but it won't if if you're not ready to be awoken at 4.30, it'll wake you up somewhere around there when your, like, sleep cycle is, uh, I forgot which one it is. But it doesn't uh, wake up my entire house the way my alarm clock does. So it actually just starts vibrating all around my head and stuff. And I wake up and it's okay. just like, dude, it's, that alone right there, that's totally worth it. But, um, yeah, we're going to, dude, so you guys got to head over to, what is it, 8sleep.com slash project. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash power project. And uh, whether you get the uh, the mattress and the, the topper or you get just the topper, you're going to receive $150 off automatically. Links to them down in the description as well as the podcast show notes. Again, 8sleep.com slash power project. Um, really, you guys, highly recommend it. Head over there ASAP. What is the deal with the super sleep you've super been talking duper. about? That one took off. Yeah, what's super sleep? <laughs> that, that took off, yeah. How, uh, do we, how do we do it? I mean, you're, yeah. I think you said you're sleeping for like 10 or 12 hours? Well, I, I've had this thing that, I, that I've done over the years, um, particularly as I started getting older, which was a couple times a month, just try to get in a good 12 hours of sleep. 
you know, I, I, so I'd make it a point. I'm just going to move your microphone a little bit more this way since you're Thank kind you. of naturally leaning towards me a little bit more. So I'm sure. just going to go. There you Is that go. okay? Yeah. You good with that? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm. So it was a couple times a month uh, trying to make a job out of going to bed early. So just try and sleep from about seven to seven. And then uh, what happened to me a few months back was like, I kind of hit a bit of a wall. Like, and it just was, I'm going to be 57 in a month. And I, I just kind of had a, a dip in testosterone. And when your hormones dip, uh, it'll, it'll wreck your sleep. You know, so it's, it's really important to keep your, your hormones up. But I, I, I have this, I've talked with uh, Carl Lenore about this and kind of have this closet idea that essentially, as long as you're sexually viable, it's a benefit to the herd. And as soon as you're not, you're just competing for resources. So your body works to get you out of the picture as soon as your hormones dip. So uh, that was one element why my slippage, I kind of finally figured that out. And then the other element was that um, I, I had stopped using the blanket that I use and I was just kind of sleeping without a blanket and it wrecked my sleep, wrecked my sleep. So I just did a lot of research and I, I kind of figured out, oh, I, okay, it's hormones and it's skin temperature. I kind of figured that out. And so I corrected the two and then voila, sleeps back to normal. Um, got my testosterone up. Okay, great. Um, and so from that, now I'm just trying to catch up. And so <laughs> I did this post uh, called calling it super sleep. And then everybody's like, oh, how do I do super sleep? But basically, yeah, it's just it, number one, it's making a job to get to sleep. And then just a huge list of check boxes uh, so that you can get a, a lot of sleep and a lot of deep sleep. And so and I think it's a really good practice as you get older uh, to just kind of try and do a couple times a month. Yeah. So how did you realize that your testosterone was going down? Because you say you hit, you hit a wall. Did you like get yeah. some blood work back and you saw your test was down and you also mm-hmm. like physically you felt something within a week or something? How did you realize that? One, one's just the boner measure. Like, oh. Yeah. yeah. So boners during sleep. Boner measurements. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that during sleep tells you just about everything you need to know. Okay. And as long as you're kind of in the teenage zone, you know, everything's worrying. The other thing too is energy. Wait, like when you wake up, like having a morning, like morning yeah. woods, what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah okay. well, all through the night. Yeah. All th- yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> don't, don't tell me you don't do that right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so yeah, that's a huge piece of the equation. No Wait, pun. that's actually a big deal to talk about. No pun intended. How big? Like, yeah. Like, here we, here we go. How big of a deal? Yeah. Here we go. Inches but this is, no, this is really interesting because that's something that I, I like, I only really thought about morning wood. I never thought mm-hmm. about, is it something, is it normal to just have a boner through the night? So that's something that you think that men should pay attention to as far as their hormonal levels, as far as their vitality, having oh, a boner yeah. through the night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Because most people don't think about that, man. I, w- I didn't think about that until you just mentioned it. Well, you don't think about it when you're young because it's there all the time. And then as you get older, you don't think about it because it's not there. You know, you'll, it, it, you, only, you only think about it when you restore it and you're like, oh, my gosh, I missed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's there now. Yeah. So it's a big it's a big, you know, predictor. Okay. Things. And the other thing is just energy. Um, when, when you're, so testosterone and energy production are kind of related. You know, testosterone helps. Any, any ideas on what the hell's going on inside the body to make you have a boner randomly in the middle of the night? <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 you have hormone production. Mm. Yeah. Just like Ooh. a cascade of testosterone maybe? Or? Yeah, yeah your, your hormones are working. So, you're, you're, so um, anyways, all that to say, um, you, you consistently see that with people over 50. When their hormones get disrupted, their sleep gets disrupted at the same time. And so you have to correct both. Mm. You, have, you, you can't leave the one or the other. And it's, it's, actually, that's a big cycle. I'm sure we'll talk about sleep here. But anyways, restored that, restored, um, which is a, another interesting thing is skin temperature. So 
we're talking about like, you know, cooling the body down and heating the body up to get to sleep. And it kind of creates a lot of confusion. Like, well, should you get cold? Should you get hot? And what I found for me was the answer is that it's neither cold nor hot. It's a range. Okay. So there's a range where the skin needs to be. The skin needs to be between 87 and 95. And I'm not talking about the room. I'm just talking about the temperature at the surface of the skin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when that's between 87 to 95, it induces sleep. And everybody's number is different. Some people ask. could be 95, some people be 87. But whatever your sleep, sleep, no pun, sleep number is, mm-hmm. whatever your sleep number is, if you're too far above that, like, like your back is sweaty, you're not going to go to sleep. Okay. Uh, if you're too far below that, like it's too cold, the cold will wake you up. So there's just a range. And, um, again, you know, I like things that you can just prove. So that's an easy one. Just pull your blanket off at night. If you have a really cold room and watch the cold will wake you up, cover yourself, get the right amount of blanket. You'll sleep sound. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So those two big things, um, I kind of got all that corrected and, and then, um, been working on just getting my sleep caught up, which, um, I'm discovering as you get older, uh, you know, the, the big animal the big dog in the fight is ATP synthesis. So there's a, there's a, a scientist, uh, James, I think it was James Blackstock in 1989, he calculated the amount of ATP the body needs to make every day. And I don't know if this is true, but if it's anywhere near true, it's fascinating. And what he calculated was that you need to make your body weight in ATP every day, your body weight. Mm-hmm. So 220 pounds of ATP, you need to synthesize every day. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's astounding. So if you think about, well, how do I do that? How do I synthesize 220 pounds of ATP? You know, is it through food? No, no, it's through breathing. Breathing is the way you do it. And ATP in the body works like money, works very much like money in a factory. So if you have a factory that makes Teslas and it has these robots and the robots, they make the cars, but then they also maintain the factory and they do all these things. The money or ATP is what you need to pay for the robots to maintain the factory and to build the cars. The cars are analogous to protein and those proteins maintain everything. If you don't have enough money, you got to cut back. You have to cut back on the robots that maintain the factory. And once you cut back on that, the factory starts going to hell quickly. So ATP is like the body's currency and sleep. The principal thing with sleep is to restore ATP primarily. So that when you wake up, ATP levels are restored. What you see in people as they get older is they're just not making ATP at the same rate they used Let's to. Let's back up just a second. What is ATP? Adenosine triphosphate. So it is the body's, uh, pr- it's the cell's primary source of energy. Okay. Energy being defined is the ability to move stuff around, the ability to do work. So like within the cell, we need to do all kinds of things. Something needs to move into one position. So you need ATP for that. You need to make proteins. You need ATP for that. You need ATP for everything. It's the power. So if you took like an automated factory and you pulled the cord, nothing would happen. The factory would be dead. Mm-hmm. So the production of ATP is the thing. Your energy source. Mm-hmm. I can see why you're fascinated by this because last time we talked, you talked a lot about kind of a young body versus an old body. And we can get into that a little bit later. But some of the stuff that you're saying about sleeping, we've heard different opinions about we've heard people say that you can't restore sleep that you can't make up sleep um what are some of your thoughts on that are you finding something quite different for yourself or is there kind of newer research maybe showing something different yeah i think there's conflicting evidence on that and i'm just sorting through i mean i'll say just for myself i feel like i can make up sleep um now i would also say like if i had you know seven days of three hours of sleep i could also understand that that's I might not ever really get that back, you know, but I'm talking about like a bad night ish or two of, of rough sleep and then being able to make it up on the weekend and getting a little extra snoozing in. 
it seems like it does something, but I don't really truly know because I never actually really measured it. But I do feel better when I do that. Well, I think there's there's two pieces to that equation. I think the first piece is that there's an optimal level of ATP uh, repletion when you wake up that leads to a feeling of being energized when you wake up. And the worst thing in the world is waking up and dragging ass. Mm-hmm. That is the worst thing in the world because then you don't have the energy to really think. You don't have the energy to go work out. You don't have the energy to do anything. So that's kind of like priority number one. The, the other piece of that would be damage that occurred from lack of sleep during a period of time. And can you ameliorate some of that? You probably can to some degree, to some degree, you know, we can repair a lot of things. So, and if I just thinking back to different studies, I think, I think the evidence is mixed for it. So, but regardless of whether or not you can or you can't getting to a place where you're waking up, like feeling energetic and refreshed, um, is sort of like a non-negotiable, like you have to have that. You know, you, you need that because it's, it's tied to everything else. It's tied to your ability to perform at your job, your ability to do anything, your ability to think, your ability to, you know, do all the things that you want to do. You have to have adequate um, ATP replacement. So, can you talk to us about breathing real quick? Because you mentioned yeah. breathing, and it, it's really interesting how much more breathing is being like talked about currently. For example, we had Andrew Huberman on our last podcast, mm-hmm. but in his podcast about testosterone, he literally had a whole section on why nasal breathing is massively important for hormonal and testosterone mm-hmm. health, mm-hmm. nasal breathing specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about breathing helps the production of ATP? And something I've mm-hmm. noticed for myself, and mm-hmm. I mentioned this to Mark this morning, um, I, use, I typically try to use mouth tape every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the nights I forget, I typically, I don't use an alarm, but I sleep longer. On the nights that I use mouth tape, mm-hmm. I, every single time I sleep like 45 minutes less, I mm-hmm. wake up energized. And I'm just like, I can hop out of bed. Mm-hmm. Always I need less sleep. Mm-hmm. What might be going on? Have you measured your uh, deep sleep one versus the other and your heart rate variability one versus the other? My HRV is usually a little bit better when I have mouth tape on. Right. Um, deep sleep can vary depending on the time that I go to bed on certain nights. Some nights that yeah. I go to bed at 1230, some nights that I go to bed at like 11. Yeah. So it ranges there. But right. always... I sleep less and wake up feeling more energized when I use mouth tape. Mm-hmm. On prime. Like, and it's not like when I, when I don't use mouth tape, it's not like I wake up with a dry mouth, but my mouth sometimes is probably falling open a little bit here and there throughout the night when mm-hmm. I don't use mouth tape versus mm-hmm. when I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm just okay. curious about that. Yeah. Well, I know some of the research uh, in that talks about that you're, you're, especially when you talk to like some of the dentists that are really on the forefront of that, mm-hmm. um, which you find a lot, some of the people that know the most about that are, are dentists that are really into this. Um, you oxygenate, the, you oxygenate the brain better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one component of it. I think another piece, just generally speaking, is that in order to make ATP, your primary fuel source is not food, it's oxygen. Mm-hmm. So you pull oxygen into oxphos, and that's how you're making all that ATP. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of a linear equation with respect to oxygen and ATP production. So the less oxygen, um, the, the less ATP you make. And I'm trying to think of the research I've seen on mouth breathers. Um, I, I, I think, to, to my knowledge, just almost universally, when you correct mouth breathing, you correct a lot of things. You, you correct cancer risk. You correct um, obesity. So what you see, this is really interesting. When you look at um, childhood obesity rates, first of all, this isn't any one thing. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of things that are tied together. But when you look at like childhood obesity rates, um, the absence of chewing hard foods and a lot of... Um, okay, and this is a radical opinion within dentistry, but a guy you should have on the podcast is Dr. Gregory Cliven. Man, this guy is the nicest guy you're ever going to meet in your life. Super nice guy and really knowledgeable, and he can really speak to this stuff. But just to paraphrase some stuff he might tell you, what you see is 
some of the older orthodontic techniques, they were based on removing things mm -hmm. from the jaw. And so what happens is the jaw and the facial structure never properly develops. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of epigenetics going on here. There's a whole bunch of gene stimulation from the ability to chew and chew hard foods. And so what you see with childhood obesity rates is there's these high correlations with um, chewing soft foods, with improper airway flow. And so some of the net things that you see from that are, is kind of this thing. You'll see kind of this, this kind of posture leaning forward. And the reason you see that is because you're unconsciously need to get more air. So you see kind of this humpback kind of, you know, posture. Mm -hmm. like, and, and you can, you can, you can test it. You could just, okay, well, stand really straight and breathe. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not getting as much air. Mm -hmm. You know, put your head forward. Oh, yeah, I get more air. Okay. But a lot of that is coming from the lack of development of the palate and the mouth. And there's a book I'm reading right now called Epigenetic Orthodontics. Okay. And it's incredible. Like the pictures that you see in this book of the facial correction that goes on when people undergo the expansion of the palate. I know that sometimes people start to hear this stuff and they think that we're crazy because mm -hmm. we've been talking about this right. for quite some time. But like my understanding is that there's some stem cell production yes. from chewing on hard things yep. and that's what helps uh, kind of recorrect. And we're not really saying that uh, that mouth breathing is causing people to be heavier because we know what the root cause. But as Joel pointed out, it, it can be a potential another issue. Uh, that compounds a already complicated issue. And so people's decision-making skills, you can, you can start to just think about on, on days when you're really, really tired, think about your decision-making skills and how poor they are. And so now think about if you started to feel that way every single day because you had sleep apnea or some, some sort of a obstructed breathing, uh, not just during sleep, but even throughout the entire day. Now you're really screwed and it's going to be very difficult to make changes or want to investigate uh, what's going on with your diet. It's going to be that much harder for you to be able to kind of fight against it. I have seen from coaching clients, I've seen things like um, I have seen, you know, whole body resonance imaging of like the airway. Okay. And you can literally see these tiny airways, tiny airways that are restricting airflow. Okay. And these are things that if you just run the math on what, what, what your probabilistic outcomes are, you need oxygen to make ATP. In my book, I talk a lot about uh, the hypoxia protein, uh, HIF1. So our body has a backup system when you don't have food. That's called body fat. Um, it also has a backup system when you don't have air. Okay. That's called HIF1 and Basically, each cell controls its own sort of need for oxygen tension. Oxygen tension is kind of like a little lever, a little meter that says, eh, we, need, we, need, we don't have any oxygen. Let's go to the backup system. Um, what you see hand in hand with lots of different types of cancers is when you have sustained hypoxia um, as a whole and within cells, you see this high, high correlation to cancer. And it's because you're not getting enough oxygen because your cells start running on glycolysis, okay? Um, and then you see sort of these inflammatory mediators and you see these inflammatory cascades within immune cells that, and, and the way to understand it is in my book, I talk about the macrophage as kind of like a central focus point. The macrophage is a white blood cell and they're kind of like the SWAT team, like the SWAT team of the body. You know, they patrol and, you know, they see something that's out of whack and they go kill it, okay? Um, but they're also the body's doctors. And so they kind of have dual roles. And there's a time when you need 
Sometimes you need a SWAT team. Sometimes you need a doctor. But what you see with macrophages is generally when you have issues with hypoxia, they show up because there's a problem. And the metabolism of the SWAT team macrophages is very inflammatory by its nature. And that's necessary. You need, you need it to kill things. But when there's too much of that, the whole system gets wonky and you get these inflammatory cascades that are very oncogenic in nature. So when you look at like restricted airflow, you see these very high correlations to cancer and obesity and it starts in childhood. Mm. So um, just simple things like in childhood, correcting airflow um, and reintroducing back a number of different small things. I don't think there's any one cure, but, but introducing back hard chewing um, and a number of other things. I think over the long term can pay huge dividends. And in saying that, you know, I understand there's a lot of orthodontists out there and dentists that would be violently opposed to that idea. That's just BS. It's, you know, it's like ridiculous. There's a small contingent of dental professionals that are sort of really looking at this and seeing pretty amazing results. So time will tell. But um, given just personally what I've seen and the way I've seen people like correct their energy just by correcting sleep at night, by just breathing through the nose. I, I would literally lay money on time will favor that sort of position. So, and then real quick, as long as, as far as the production of ATP breathing more. So you're, you're pretty much saying exercise can massively help that because you increase your breathing rate during exercise, but exercise in accordance with breathing through your nose too. Like uh, I know like at a certain point with certain exercise, when you get fatigued enough, you're going to have to open your mouth at a certain point when it gets extremely physical but during a majority of it, you want to be breathing through your nose. Will that help with production or does that matter, you think? I think it does. You know, like uh, an old track and field thing was you're breathing through your nose, you know, mm-hmm. during sprints, you know, that, that you're, you're going to perform better when you're breathing through your nose. Um, top of my head, I, I can't think of any research, not that it doesn't exist, but just because I got a head full of too much stuff. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the, because um, I remember I used to just get every single supplement I could find and there was ATP supplements yeah, and I bought them because the person sold them to me and I remember <laughs> I would take them and be like, oh my God, I had the best workout ever, but I have no idea what it was doing. So mm-hmm. is there any benefit to taking a quote ATP supplement? I think there is. So I Cre- think that creatine would be in that. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So oh, okay. I think there's this amazing repurposing of bodybuilding supplements for longevity. Top of the list is creatine. Um, for the, the reason that <laughs> let's fucking go, yeah. dance. Let's yeah. fucking go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was good. Right. Was good. <laughs> By the I way, it. so I, I, we were talking about this before the show. Uh, Seema's going with me to Comic Con next yes, year. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he's gonna wear a body paint Black Panther suit. Yes, he's gonna cover his junk, obviously. <laughs> No, nobody wants, I don't know, maybe somebody wants it, so I, I don't want to say it. Anyways, uh, you're going to get mobbed, dude. You're going to get mobbed. You're going to get so many TikTok followers, you I should do it. I wonder if he even needs like, any body paint. I think he can just, just take his shirt off, right? That, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just a mess. But com- you got you to do the body paint if it's you gotta, Comic-Con. You got to go out you gotta, for it. You yeah, know? no, I'm seriously, dude, you're going to be mobbed. Just, yeah. I'm down Here's to do it if Mark it. comes as Omni-Man. I'm in. Mm, you're when in, is it? That's the other thing. My Viltrumite friend. Yes. Oh my gosh. The spitting image of Omni Man. Yeah. Oh, you need some white, wow. like white hair right here. Oh my gosh. You know, he's so Omni Man. For Instagram, for this segment, you got to make clips and tag him Omni Man. I'm in. When is it? Look it up, Andrew. I'll look it up. Yeah. Con 2022. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, wait. Okay, so we'll go with both you guys. Yeah, together. You'll be, you guys will be mobbed. Mobbed. Mm-hmm. Sweet fun. Yeah. Sweet fun. It, it looks like more. Yeah. I'm going to have to start <laughs> yeah. lifting weights for this. I'll set this. 
I've been saying. Okay, but we were talking about creatine. He's been really excited yeah. about it. Oh, my gosh. Speaking <laughs> of boners. <laughs> Stay behind the podium. I got you. It's, 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 yeah. it's hidden. It's yeah. hidden. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> looks like it's in July. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a different one. Sorry. Oh, well, returning to adulthood here. Yep. Um, nah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that there's this uh, just fantastic repurposing of bodybuilding supplements for longevity, uh, particularly with people 50 and over. Because one of the... Um, not too much talked about issues with longevity is cell volume, keeping the volume of cells plump, keeping them plump. And there is, there are, there's good research that shows that fluidic cell volume is related to ATP production. The two kind of relate. And so when cells start to kind of like with age get kind of withered and you know, the, the, the phospholipid membrane doesn't work that well. And they're just, they lose their, uh, let's call it plumpness that, aging accelerates. And so things like creatine that plump up the cell, I think uh, periodically I think is a really good case for those. And then along with that is uh, would be pyruvate and ribose. So I think there's a, a really good case to be made. Those for, are old school. Yeah. 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 But I think, I think repurposing them for aging. Um, I think that's got a lot of mileage. I think there's a lot of potential ther- therapeutics to that. Would so, hydration be in there somewhere too? Am I yeah. way off? Yeah. yeah no, it's in the same thing. So, Again, you know, these things are always one thing. They're never separate things. But um, what you see with age is that the cell membrane, the phospholipid membrane starts to lose its permeability, starts to lose its flexibility. And then you get these imbalances of things like uh, potassium, calcium within the cell. And that's a problem. That's a big problem for aging. So keeping the cell membrane sort of open, keeping it fluid, keeping it from getting damaged uh, has a lot to do with really aging well. And not only that, the mitochondrial member, all the membranes within the cell, keeping them working well. What are some of your thoughts on, um, like, why, you know, my seven or eight-year-old, I think it's eight, uh, eight-year-old nephew can come in here and just plop down into a squat and, like, Mm -hmm. lay on the floor and pop Mm -hmm. up and, like, Mm -hmm. run around and, like, just Mm -hmm. no joint issues, amazing mobility. Like, like why is someone at that age that way um, and someone that ends up being, you know, 30, 40, 50 years older than that, what starts to happen to our joints over time? Why do they get stuck or why, um, you know, why, why would, like if someone came in the gym and they're, they're about your age and I say, Hey, let me see you do a squat. Usually the first thing they say is what, <laughs> because they like want time to kind of regroup and think about what they're about to do. Mm-hmm. Cause they don't want to just drop into a squat. It's mm-hmm. rare that they can really just drop down into a squat out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Sometimes as crazy, it might sound to someone who's young. They might even need a little bit of a warm up or a little bit of like prep work to do a squat. Mm -hmm. What are some of your theories and what do you think is happening in the body that ages us to the point where those joints don't want to do that anymore? Yeah, again, it's never one thing. It's a bunch of things. But in that list of a bunch of things, you would look at sort of you'd look at the accrual of uh, damaged fibers um, or rather repair fibers that are getting loaded in your collagen matrix in the matrix of like your ligaments and things. What you see with um, different uh, connective tissues and structures in the body is that they're very complex. And over time, um, when they are either just kind of into like long-term wear and tear or injury, there are sort of different types of fibers and different types of things that get loaded in to repair these things. And sometimes they're stiffer. Sometimes they work differently. Sometimes they're inflammatory by nature. Um, You also see just a general decline in the ability 
to circulate blood and and sort of get, get the circulatory system with age. That's a big factor. Another issue has to do with um, the decline of the gut and translocation of inflammatory mediators that affect other parts of the body. So you'll typically see... So, uh, let me just back that one up just a second so we don't get talking too fast for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're kind of saying that over a period of time, maybe the stomach doesn't have the same ability to utilize healthy nutrients to help fend off things that may be inflammatory to the body, something along those lines? More along the lines of like um, once when, what you see with age is the gut starts to open up, okay? And when that happens, you get um, what's called there's always these big words for stupid things like moving. Okay. So the big word for when things move is translocation, you know, ah, it's mm. translocated. <laughs> it's moved. <laughs> so, so, so things move, uh, from the gut principally, um, cell wall fragments like, uh, peptidoglycan and lipopolysaccharide. So lipopolysaccharide, it's a cell wall fragment and basically it's a toxin. It's what's called an endotoxin. And when that penetrates the gut, you see um, it's very inflammatory by nature. So it activates very specific receptors on immune cells, turns on the inflammatory machinery. And you see these correlations between, between things like um, colitis and arthritis. And you see these correlations between issues in the gut and sort of like joint related issues. So how do you keep your body from... You know, how, how do you keep your body from, like, I guess, acting that way? Uh, what I would offer it was the reason I had to write a book, to my mind, was that we need an approach to health that is immune-centric by its very nature, which, you know, we're in an industry where a lot of people say a lot of stuff for the sake of being novel. I didn't see that as just, oh, let me say something novel. Um, to me, that was central because when you look at obesity uh, or you look at age, you find in a lot of ways you're really talking about the same things happening. One thing that seems to be pretty clear is that you see this uh, perfusion or opening up of the gut. Okay, the gut just doesn't seal the way it used to. When you say opening up, like what exact, like what does that mean specifically? So, the function of the gut, the gut lining, is to act as an interface. Okay, it's to act as a like a it's like a club where the guy at the door is going, you get in. You wait in line, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you don't get in. That's the function of the gut. And when the doorman ain't doing his job, the club gets mobbed by all these, um, you know, uh, deplorables. Okay. <laughs> I love it. These people that don't belong there. <laughs> <laughs> the deplorables mob. Yeah. So what happens is when the deplorables pierce the gut lining, mm-hmm. y- you know how it is. You throw a party and the wrong people show up and they wreck stuff. That, that's what happens. They wreck stuff. So what you, what you see in obesity is that, uh, I'll, I'll take the case of lipopolysaccharide. So again, LPS, it, lipopolysaccharide, LPS for short, it's, it's a cell wall fragment. Okay. When you have a fever and that fever breaks, you get a little nauseated. Okay. The reason you're getting nauseated is the body's heating up to kill bacteria. When it kills bacteria, these bacteria die and they're, they break open. And their guts spill out, and these toxins uh, spill into the gut. So things like lipopolysaccharides spill into the gut. And what lipopolysaccharide does is it sort of like acts like a, it's sort of like coming up to the club with a gun and going, I'm coming in. <laughs> okay. And then, okay, okay, you're coming in. So it penetrates into the serum. And like in the case of obesity, uh, it finds your body fat, and then it translocates, <clears throat> uh, moves moves into your adipose mass, okay? When this thing from the gut, this toxin, 
finds your fat mass, what it does is a number of things. One of the things it does is it can penetrate into the cytosol of your fat cells. Okay. And there it, um, it activates these key, key enzymes that essentially create these, a very special kind of cell death. Okay. Uh, it, it's like, it's like killing a cell in a horrible way. And what that does is it recruits all these inflammatory signal mediators, these macrophages or these, the, the SWAT team to your fat mass. And what they do is it's like having, it's like having a SWAT team outside with, you know, a hundred cars and the sirens all going off. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. So if that happened here, <clears throat> Mark would be throwing his hands up. <laughs> so would I. <laughs> We'd be looking for the van outside. Um, if, if that happened here, business would stop. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd, there'd be too much chaos, too much confusion. Like, ah, we, can't, we can't work. You know? So it's very similar in your fat mass. When you get too many of these um, immune infiltrators into your fat mass and the sirens are going off, your fat doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Okay? And if you trace all this back, it started in the gut. It started with penetrating the gut. With, with like these toxins. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And the same thing happens in aging. So, so that takes us back to, okay, well, so how do we deal with like obesity? The, the part of the answer becomes, well, we have to fix the gut first. We have to fix this infiltration. These people getting into the club, they can't come anymore. So, yeah. Um, you helped me a while back, <clears throat> uh, resolve some issues I had with digesting lactose. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a lot of people listening who are like, oh, what the hell? how we're able to do that. So what, what is your protocol for that? And what, and why do you suppose that people uh, end up with like lactose intolerance? Cause it seems like a lot of people can drink milk when they're young. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason they get to a certain age and just doesn't seem to sit right with them anymore. What is going on in the body? Yeah, it's very interesting. So when you look at the guts of young kids, they have these proportions of bifidobacteria that are exponentially greater than adults do. And then correlated to that, they have these energy levels that are insanely more than that of adults. Okay. Um, you also see some other very interesting things. Um, there's, a, there's a really cool doctor uh, I've gotten to know, and she just did a study on COVID and bifidobacteria in the gut. What you find is that there's this incredible correlation to having bifidobacteria in the, in the gut and uh, protection from viral immunity. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, and... What you see is that when we talk about digesting carbohydrates, that's a genetic question because we need to make enzymes, okay? The majority of enzymes required to break down the spectrum of carbohydrates are not really found in the human genome. They're found in bacteria. Bacteria do a really good job of making the genes to break down different types of carbohydrates, lactose being a carbohydrate. So what you find is that when you have certain species of bifidobacteria present like you did when you were a kid, issues uh, very often seem to go away. With digesting milk. And what is bifidobacteria? So bifidobacteria is part of the, it's a, it's a phyla, it's called the actinobacteria. And it is um, probably the single, single most important bacteria to human health, like by far. Um, you could make a case that one other, Acromancia mucinilfa, is of equal importance. Um, that's, that's a debate, but whatever. But definitely those two together are kind of a key to human health. And bifidobacteria, it is, it's, it's that first bacteria we got with mother's milk. And it is tied to human immunity to a very large degree. So it's what's called a commensal, meaning it's, it's 
part of the bacteria, part of the species of bacteria that, that confer optimal human health. And when you study what some of the different species of bifidobacteria do, it's pretty, pretty interesting. So bifidobacteria seems to help the infant gut develop its immune system. And one of the ways that it does this is with antigen sensing. So bifidobacteria, their cell walls make these proteins. And what these proteins do is within the gut lining, you have these very specific um, antigen sensing cells called uh, dendrites or dendritic cells. And bifidobacteria help stimulate those cells to pull antigens into the body. And what happens is it helps you develop immunity because with bifidobacteria secreting these proteins, you have um, your antigen sensing is that much greater. You can pull antigens sort of into the gut. Uh, and it, the, the dendritic cells will present them to T cells. T cells will bake up an answer for that. And then it affects these inflammatory cascades or these anti-inflammatory cascades down the line, which seem to be very um, pro-health, pro-longevity, pro-being lean. And it does a number of other things. Um, it correlates, uh, there are certain species of bifidobacteria correlate really well to um, sanitarians, to living like 100 plus years. Um, correlates very well to being lean. There's, there are mechanisms you can look at that, that get beyond correlation that you can literally say, oh, wow, this is a mechanism. Uh, one of them is a protein that humans make when they're fasting. It's called fasting-induced adipose factor. The bacteria that you find in the human gut um, from the, the Western diet suppress that protein. Bifidobacteria and acromantia make that protein. So the net of that is when you have more of that protein, um, the same protein that humans make when they're fasting, uh, it drives fat oxidation up. Mm-hmm. And so what aspect of the Western diet um, suppresses that? Is it the processed, like massively processed foods? Like what aspect of the Western diet suppresses that? Too many calories? Well, again, it's, you know, it's number one thing. It's, you, have, um, you have too many refined sugary carbohydrates combined with too much bad fat, and that combination alone has been shown to, to, to break energy balance in the body. That's been shown to basically act like an accelerator on eating and cut the brake line on cessation of eating. And when you say bad fat specifically, like examples? Um, you know, just when you look at the types of saturated fats that are, it's not the saturated fats on their own are, are, are a thing. It's, it's when you combine saturated fats with you know, these refined sugars uh-huh. together yeah. in the diet, that's when you get into issues, you know, and it, there, there does seem to be some good evidence that it is the energy density itself mm. of these foods. So when you have foods that are like, you know, I think we've all had the experience of eating like you could eat like, Oreos. Doritos, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. They wreck your ability to say no. Mm-hmm. And w- would you agree with kind of the statement that most things are probably not all that dangerous as long as we don't overeat them? Or do you kind of think a little differently than that? Like if you don't overall, like I, I would say that like, you know, you hear the kind of people say that fat turns to fat the easiest, right? But that's only in the case of if you overeat. Um, they say carbohydrates are second. But again, that's only in the case of if you overeat. Or sometimes people say sugar is really bad because it it does A, B, or C. And it, it could be, it can be. But I think what's the ultimate culprit is continuously overeating day-to-day for long periods of time and not expending enough energy. 
Well, sure. Yeah, that's that's the basic equation of um, this era that we're in. You know, this era has inverted the probabilities of energy balance. So mm-hmm. it's just easier to take more in than it is to expend it. So that's the core problem. Um, I think beyond that, you got to start breaking things out into classes. So when you look at like, you got to look at obesity kind of separately because it's sort of its own thing. Um, when you look at obesity, um, the evidence probably seems to suggest that um, that cutting fat intake will have a bigger intake, that, bigger effect than cutting carbs. So taking fat much much lower seems to have a stronger effect um, on fat loss than. Why do you think that is? That's, in, that's I, I think that's interesting. I actually feel I feel very similar to you. I actually think that that might be true. Yeah, because. To me, that's a really simple conversation because it's not a real change in someone's diet. Mm-hmm. I would love to see somebody go like more meat based and to go lower carb, but that is a huge effort and a huge lifestyle change. Just to say, hey man, you know, uh, I know that you love burgers. If you could just make your burgers at home and use a leaner source of protein, you could still make the same burger pretty much. It just will have less fat calories in it. So, why do you suppose that? cutting the fat back would have the biggest impact? Well, I think one issue has to do with inside the mitochondria. Um, you, I think, you know, you can make a case that and it isn't, it, it isn't just any one specific type of fat. I think there's, there's a lot of fats that will fit the bill here. But when you start to see uh, what happens inside the mitochondria with different fats, particularly in an obese state, particularly within adipose tissue, mm-hmm. um, you see a lot of different issues with... Um, burning fat, storing fat, and you see like, for example, certain types of fats you'll see, um, you won't see conversion to triglycerols. You'll see a greater buildup of diglycerols, which when you get too many can be toxic. Okay. Um, so I think that's, that's a big deal. Um, anecdotally, I grew up in kind of the, you know, the old school bodybuilding era when what you would see bodybuilders do pre-contest was they just take fat very low. These guys got peeled. They got mm-hmm. stupid peeled. So um, I think that there's a lot to certain populations taking fat intake really low, keeping your fats healthy, but taking them really low and you, and you see the needle move. So. It also might be, you know, just thinking about this, it might be easier for individuals who let's say they don't exercise as much. Mm. Right. Um, maybe they, cause like you notice that like people that exercise a lot, especially when their fats are low, their, their hormones take a tank. But if you're not someone who exercises a lot, there's probably a lesser need for high amounts of fat in your diet. Not that it's bad, but like if you have high amounts of fat, you need lower amounts of carbs, but most people aren't going to be able to actually stick to that. You might be able to say the same thing about protein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you don't exercise as much, you probably don't need as much protein to someone like me or you or you who do quite or Andrew that do a lot of exercise every single week. So plus don't you I mean, isn't it true that like people that intake less calories generally uh, live longer is that an idea that people have out there uh it's yeah it, it's i think it's fairly well supported in yeah. the research i mean there you know so it's called oxidative metabolism for a reason so it's oxidative you know whether you know and so just taking in less fuel mm-hmm. over time think of an engine you know just burning burning when an engine burns really hot like you're running nitrous in it it's just not going to last as long yeah so Taking in fewer calories probably extends lifespan, you know, like the, the evidence probably on pretty good ground with mm-hmm. that 20% less calories. Yeah. Okay. 
back to the lactose. Uh, what did you do specifically <laughs> to uh, mm-hmm. help with it? Because actually, I think I need to do it again because it's mm-hmm. been a while. Mm-hmm. And like the last time I had ice cream, I had disaster pants. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost uh, shot myself the other day too. Anyway, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> spinning up, uh, spinning up a phytobacteria, <laughs> getting more in your gut is kind of like the go-to thing with that. And um, it's not that hard to do. Uh, generally speaking, you can just do it through dietary means. The, I think the thing I told you to do was human milk oligosaccharides. Mm-hmm. So mother's milk has these sugars. And these sugars are what are called glycan sugar proteins. And they have a lot to do with feeding both bifidobacteria species and... Help us out, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually yeah. have a freezer full right Sup- now. Support so. our gut health. <laughs> Support our gut health. Yeah. <laughs> the address to Andrew super training at. is... Yeah. 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 <laughs> What's, uh, just give them our address. Yeah, I know, Send right? as much milk as you like. <laughs> actually, someone someone asked me that. Someone... Anyways, I won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so... Getting more bifidobacteria, um, human milk oligosaccharides, uh, feed bifidobacteria really well. They also feed acromantia really well. So, so that's kind of a one, two punch. Um, and you can, you can get these in colostrum. There's supplements on the market now that have them. Uh, we get them when we're, when we're younger, they're in mother's milk and they, they go a long way to do that. But you can also just, uh, bananas will feed bifidobacteria, mm. uh, dark fruits, polyphenols will feed bifidobacteria, um, you had me go to the store and get baby food. Yes. Yeah. You're like, go get baby food. Right. The, the one that says it has HMO in it. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah, so I yeah. put a scoop of baby powder in my protein shakes for like a month and it worked well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't make me like immune to lactose, but whenever I had like pizza or ice cream, uh, I noticed a lot less complications. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. What you'll find is that... Um, we tend to think of we tend to think of these things like like they're linear and they're just solved once forever. And the truth is, they're more like muscles you work out. So, what you'll find is that the body's ability to digest fibers, the body's ability to handle different kinds of foods, is much like a muscle. And if you neglect it, it gets weak. If you kind of pay attention to it, it gets strong. Mm. And so, understanding that bifidobacteria is something you can acquire, you can do it rapidly. It's kind of like a skill. And it's really not that difficult to do. It's just understanding how do I feed that, what foods feed it. And um, it gets into other things. Um, so it, it gets into this super fascinating thing that you can make a really good case that species of bifidobacteria um, mimic, mimic fasting and help fasting to a very large degree. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's probably a good narrative rationale for it, you know, like, thousands of years ago we were starving uh didn't have any game so you know we went and just ate whatever we get you know we found some berries we found some roots we found things that feed bifidobacteria and then what you find nature usually has these sort of complementary things that work together so like in a starved state you're feeding exactly what bifidobacteria needs bifidobacteria seems to check all the same boxes uh it activates the ampk pathway certain species do and activates very much the same pathways you see activated with fasting. And so rationale narrative wise, probably, probably really good reason to that, but in the science mechanistically there, yeah, wow, there's really good science that supports that. So So if you were trying to amplify fasting, you could potentially wake up and eat a a couple handfuls of berries or some banana or something like that. Yeah. What I talk about in the book is doing that the day before you fast. So the idea is that the day before you fast, you're giving the body, the substrate it needs to amplify uh, or rather spin up species of bifidobacteria. And the thing to understand about bacteria is 
they go quickly either direction. And like everybody knows this is true. Like you ever got sick, you know, you ate the wrong thing and you were sick within hours. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bacteria multiply really fast. Well, that's true. That's true in a good way too. They multiply really fast uh, just when you feed the right bacteria. So that's why these things are like muscles. It's like working out. You worked out. You saw a little bit of improvement. You know, you ate the right things. You see a little bit of improvement. And so this gets us into um, what I think is the next level of things. And I, I think the industry's, I think the Titanic's slowly turning, which is getting away from like, these are the good foods. Those are the bad foods. And let's fight about it. And, <laughs> and getting into like talking about timing and sequencing. And that's, that's really the, the, the future and understanding like, mm, no, if you eat these things now, it does this then. And then that helps that, you know, and, and that's, that's a, that's a four hour podcast right there. <laughs> but uh, just in terms of lactose and, or, or amplifying fasting, Spinning up the phytobacteria prior to a fast, um, I would offer, has a lot of benefit. So, and SEMA over here doesn't eat vegetables. So, I just like to. Mark, don't put me under the bus. No, you don't do that shit either. <laughs> he doesn't, don't play, I, don't play I, with I, us. He doesn't really eat. I don't eat, yeah. I don't, I don't eat much. I don't eat much in terms of vegetables either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah SEMA does a lot of, a lot of fasting and we mess with him about it. But, uh, you have based on a lot of your theories and based on a lot of the stuff in your book and based on some of what you even said today, you're a huge fan of like allowing your stomach to do these certain things. And, um, I kind of asked you recently because I just, whenever I have weird questions, I just throw them mm -hmm. towards Joel. I'm like, what's the deal with pickles? You know? And he'll give me this whole, like <laughs> write up on like pickled foods and all these things. And his kind of response to it was, I like to allow the stomach to ferment stuff naturally. You know, and it, that that process of of uh, breaking down roughage or breaking down some vegetables or some fruit uh, can be really beneficial as you're talking about it, feeding like the gut uh, bacteria and stuff like that. Um, that seems to be like kind of the basis of, of most of the this, this stuff I hear you talk about is you're allowing your gut to break some of these foods down. And what is the importance of somebody, in your opinion, in somebody utilizing vegetables and or fruit to help feed these bacteria in the gut? Well, probably the strongest argument comes back to the production of butyrate in the gut. Probably the strongest argument. And which, by the way, I think on our, our last podcast about almost two years ago, um, there was a, actually a lot of concepts that were broken to the... Yeah, we talked about it a bunch because uh, yeah. Ron Penn is not a vegetable guy either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we talked about... Um, I think we broke acromancy on that pop on that podcast and uh, talked a lot about butyrate. So butyrate is a fat. It's a short chain fatty acid. It's the product of bacteria in the gut pooping out this metabolite. And it is essential for the gut. It's essential for human health. It has these effects on the gut of causing the gut to seal up and have tight junctions in the gut. That's awesome. We need that. It also feeds the colon, feeds the colonocytes, feeds the cells in there. So there's a lot of different ways to make butyrate. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard these sort of like commentaries on butyrate since that time of like, well, there's other short chain fatty acids, but it's kind of like saying, yeah, there's other, there's other lubricants. There's other things in the car other than there's other fluids other than oil in the car. And it's like, yeah, there are, but <laughs> the one that matters is motor oil. Okay. Um, when you look at how butyrate can be made and you look at the different pathways and you begin to break them down, really the optimal way to make it is through fermenting fibers. That is the best way to make it. And there's a lot of reasons why that's true. One of the really important reason has to do, reasons has to do with flavonoids. What you see with obesity is there is a, um, particularly post-weight loss with obesity, you see this depletion of flavonoids in the gut. 
And what experiments have shown is that when you replace those flavonoids, fat oxidation goes up, uncoupling protein goes up. Um, you need those flavonoids in the gut, but you also need the optimal ratios of propionate, acetate, and butyrate. You need the optimal ratios. You can have too much of one, not enough of the other. And so you can make butyrate from amino acids, okay? But the pathways, the way that it gets made, they, there are some key differences. Um, one pathway is called the lysine pathway or the ketogenic pathway. And one of the differences in that pathway is your end products are a little bit different. You're not getting the flavonoids. Mm. Um, you get some antioxidants, but you're not getting the flavonoids in the same way you get ammonia. And then one of the, one of the kind of key arguments for making butyrate from fibers is that there is a acetate salvage pathway that leads to the production of more butyrate. So you get these ratios of butyrate and acetate that are sort of optimal. Um, long-term when you're making butyrate from amino acids, you can make a really good argument that it's, it's not quite the same and it's not as optimal, okay, to make it that way. Um, so that, that gets to like, you kind of need these things in the diet optimally for the gut. And just structurally, you look at like the small gut, look at the small intestine, it absolutely needs, in a perfect world, it sort of needs the full array of amino acids, you know, and so, you know, meats and things like that feed it optimally. They really do. Um, it needs that robust sort of array of aminos. But when you get to the colon, it, it, what you see is that you kind of need fibers in the colon. You kind of do to be optimal. So you kind of need both. And so that's, that's that argument, I think. I, I think a lot of people would be wondering then, so Joel, when it comes to these fibers, what mm-hmm. is the minimum amount or maybe what is the, the if I were going to add a few foods to my diet mm-hmm. each day, mm-hmm. What are like maybe some staples yeah. that this is okay. I can add this and this yeah. is what I need to do. Yeah. And then I don't need much more than this, but I could do yeah. much more, but I don't need. More. <laughs> yeah. If if I'd been asked that question like eight years ago, I would have answered it totally differently. Not yeah. because my opinions changed that much, but because we're in this era right now where you, I, I, you see a lot of people who've done um, certain, you know, they've done keto for three years, fasting, OMAD, they, they've did, they've done, uh, carnivore and their guts have shifted mm. to the place where they can't do fibers. Okay. So again, it's like a muscle. It's like a muscle. And so what I would say today is very small amounts is where you start in terms of like, you know, the, what are the amounts? The amounts are tiny, like titrated in very, very small amounts. Like, you know, it could be just start in the morning with a few raspberries, you know, and then at lunch add in like this much you know, garbanzo beans, you know, at dinner, add in one asparagus stock, start really, really small. Cause what you're going to see is you need bacteria to break those things down that are not going to be present. And you have to build those bacteria back up mm-hmm. and it takes time. So when you titrate in very small doses over time, you can build that muscle back up. Okay. Uh, the other thing in terms of the types of foods, generally speaking, it, 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 there's, there's an array. What I would say is you've got Fruits, starches, and then kind of your your cellulose, your your veggies. Okay, and your fruits I think are optimal in the morning. Uh, op- and there's a different range. So the dark fruits I like, like raspberries, blackberries, um, blueberries, things like that. Um, you can also look at like bananas. Bananas are really good. Uh, starches. You can look at things like potatoes, um, and then for vegetables. 
you can look at cruciferous vegetables, things like cauliflower, things like um, green beans. You could look at like uh, asparagus, inulins and asparagus. So, you know, find find the thing you can handle, find the thing you can tolerate and, and do very, very small amounts in just a little bit, not not much. Yeah. And is, is that like a the same protocol for kind of getting over a gluten intolerance? Um, yeah, because my my wife she was diagnosed with celiacs, and I don't know if she was misdiagnosed mm-hmm. or not. But when she does have something with gluten in it, she does mm-hmm. you know have a pretty adverse reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I completely went away from gluten mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. And then when I would have it, I would feel terrible. Mm-hmm. But then I just kept I don't know because you know car- carbs and gluten's really good, so I mm-hmm. kept eating it, and now I feel fine. But she's still pretty messed up. But yeah. if somebody doesn't have celiacs, can they yep. kind of do the same thing? Yeah, for non celiac. Gluten intolerance, I have seen that you can train it away mm. over time. If you start small, what a lot of people do is they, they, is they hear, oh, gosh, well, inulins are good. And so they go eat like, you know, a bunch of asparagus stalks all at once and they get bloaty and sick and all that. So, again, just, you know, you treat it like it's just like weightlifting. You know, when you start off weightlifting, you're not starting off with a max. You're just starting off with light weights and just kind of easing your way into it. And after a month or two, you can go and, you know, train a little heavier. So, yeah. Okay. And then uh, just because I do have access to breast milk, mm-hmm. um, if I were to start... <laughs> How much are we talking here? Can I put like an ounce or two in a protein shake? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Want to share some of this protein shake with me too? Just to maybe help that that old gut health and all that good stuff. Hey, yeah. Stephanie. <laughs> I think she's watching too. <laughs> You're asking me a question on breast milk dosing. <laughs> yeah. If if I'm going to ask anybody, like, it's going to be you. Like, I'm going to know this one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Man. No, okay. So I then, if know. it was just like the baby formula, what was it? It was like a small. It's just like a scoop, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the baby formula comes in like uh, you know either pre-measured <laughs> scoops or whatever. But you can just go straight to the HMOs and do like a few grams of that. All right. Yeah. Why? Um, you look disappointed. You're like, oh, yeah. Man. Like, well, I just wanted. Uh, I wanted to know the other the rest. Off air. I'll, I'll throw something. You wanted there. an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gosh, you look cre- <laughs> you look crestfallen. Um, I don't even know what that means. You, uh, I think you mentioned before um, that uh, reds might be a good idea. So, like, there's mm. there's greens that are sold. Uh, people know about these um, powders that are that are full of uh, vegetables and stuff like that. But they make yeah. ones for fruit as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you've mentioned before that that can help with uh, mm-hmm. gluten intolerances. Or something about along those lines, right? Yeah, anything that's spinning up um, kind of the, the the broad family of bifidobacteria will most likely help you with things like that because mm. the enzymes you need to break glutens down are you know it's uh, are going to be in certain species of bifidobacteria, and those red phenols are a very good fuel for the family of bifidobacteria. They work very well. Why do you think it might not be a great idea to utilize greens? Like a lot of folks are using greens. Um, kind of every morning and mm-hmm. they just do so like it's just they do so almost like they're drinking coffee in the morning um but I, i've heard you talk against this practice before um which i think is a little controversial because people are like greens like i need these green greens. supplements super healthy you know to have these greens every morning um in your opinion why would someone maybe not want to do that I, I don't think it's so much the greens it's more the practice of just dosing them with probiotics or uh, with um bacteria um, yeah, it's it's the practice of dosing them to the nines with uh, with probiotics. So what I have seen over the last five years is 
this sort of massive growth of gut-related issues from taking probiotics too much. And that would be the thing. So it's not so much the greens themselves, I think. It's, it's just the excess of taking in probiotics. You start to, there's this massive, massive like thing with SIBO right now, having you know the right bacteria, but just having them in the small gut, having them in the wrong place. And uh, it, it, the, the range you see is like, I got issues to like, like my life is wrecked. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there there was this jumping on the probiotic bandwagon and, oh my gosh, probiotics are good. I'm, let me just take them until I drop. And I think what we're seeing now is like, mm, that would have been a great idea. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. my opinion on it. We actually had a question from uh, Stephen in the uh, live chat. Uh, he, he has kimchi every morning and he was curious if that's a good or bad idea. Um, I don't think it's inherently one or the other. Um, I've, I've come around a little bit. I used to think that just uh, letting your body do the fermentation was optimal. So fermentation makes bacteria. Um, and after just seeing so many people with gut issues, so many people who, who just, they don't have the bacteria anymore to do things. I think fermented foods can be really good for people who have gut issues. Mm-hmm. They're already fermented. So I think that's a really good thing and it's, it could be very beneficial on the gut. So yeah, you know, as long as it's working for you. Yeah. And Paulo's asking about kefir. What do you think about that? Same same sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. under that umbrella of fermented foods. Mark asked me about pickles, and uh, I, I just put it in that same category of fermented foods. I love pickled foods. Yeah, yeah. I was curious. We we we've, we've mentioned fasting a few times. Mm-hmm. You know, like we do OMAD sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't do it all the time, but there's there's within like the fitness industry right now. There's a lot of people that talk about fasting like an elixir of health, and it right. massively increases longevity. Right. And then there's another party of people who will take that content and be like, "This is bullshit," and this is why like fasting might be useful or mm-hmm. not. Um, are there legitimately any benefits to fasting as far as longevity is concerned? Mm-hmm. And maybe with the way that we're looking at fasting, you know, as a protocol, what ways do you think we might be getting it wrong mm-hmm. with how we use it? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I'm just after what actually really works. Mm-hmm. And to get to that question, you have to factor in over time. You have to factor in long term because there's this, um, there's this misconception that things work kind of in a straight line. And that's not true of almost anything. Like almost nothing works in a straight line. Mm-hmm. What you see is most things work fantastically well up front and then there's attenuation down the line yeah. so then work is good down the line some things dip under the curve and then there's negatives down the line okay mm-hmm. that's how things actually work and i don't care what you're talking about it's you know we know that's true like with ssris okay, they work fantastic up front and then later on you got to take you know like a car full of the things mm-hmm. that's true of most things so and fasting is not excluded from that i'm just saying that based on my experience over many, many years. So fasting is fantastically beneficial for longevity, for so many things. You know, it it, it is a a great practice. What what I have seen, what I've experienced and what I've seen with other people is that it doesn't work in a straight line. So you can see fantastic benefits up front. And then there's an attenuation effect as you get a few years into it, three, four, five years. And I've seen this pretty consistently with people that I've spoken with. And you start to see a kind of a cluster of things. One of those things is suddenly they have trouble dropping fat down the line. Um, Another thing is that their hunger gets dysregulated. 
Okay, another thing is that their sleep can get dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And so you see this cluster of things. Um, so what that speaks to is, what's the right dosing? Mm-hmm. That's, what, that, that's really the question. What's the right dose? What's the right dose of fasting? Is it like, yeah, a way of life all the time? Or is it better in sort of strategic doses? That, that's the, the main question to my mind with fasting. And then, is there a way that we can take fasting, which inherently... And we start to break it down and go, why is fasting work? And we're just talking about, let me ask, we're just talking about like 16 and 20. We're not talking about multiple day fasts currently, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And I I also have found it to be super beneficial just to go, I don't know, six or eight, six or eight waking hours Mm -hmm. without food. Um, And that could mean I I wake up and eat and then I don't eat again till later on the evening. Or it could mean that I wait all the way until the evening and Mm -hmm. eat twice, um, you know, at three and then again at seven or something like that. So I've, mm-hmm. I've found that to be really beneficial, but I understand what you're saying. It kind of sounds like what you're saying is the longer that someone practices fasting, uh, the more likely over a period of time they are to move away from it, which would be kind of proof that uh, maybe it is causing some of these things that you said, like dysregulated uh, hunger. And I, I have noticed some of that in myself to where sometimes I'm like, holy shit, this, I think this has made me hungrier. I think I could be. I think I think uh, this has almost re-regulated my hunger because I think my hunger was like dampened for many years because of the way I was eating. To be a three hundred and thirty pound powerlifter, people are usually surprised that I didn't eat that much. Now I feel like I could enter an eating competition mm-hmm. at this point <laughs> with the way the way I can eat now. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. What what I would offer with that is like. Where my road has taken me, um, you know, after 40 plus years of doing this stuff is that I approach everything like mixed martial arts. Like all of these things are techniques and I can use any one of them. The question is, when do I want to use it? Mm-hmm. That's all. Like, like, let's, let's say fasting is like calf kicks. Okay. <laughs> and the question is, well, hey, are calf kicks good? And the answer is like, yeah, they can be fantastic, but I wouldn't make my whole fight game based on calf kicks. You know, I mean, you might win a fight. I don't know. But, you know, there's times when you might have to throw a punch. You might have to like grapple. You might have to go for an arm lock. And it's really more about like carnivore. Is that bad or is that good? No, it's a great tool. It's it's like that's like a that's like a overhand right. Uh, Is keto a great tool? Yeah, that's like a head kick. Okay, so when do you use these things? And it's like the answer is, you know, this thing we're talking about is much more like a fight. It's much more like mixed martial arts than it is this. It's not a punching bag. It's like, you know, you can go to the punching bag and you just, you just practice that, that Tyson body punch uppercut. You just practice that all the time. And you're really good at that. Okay. But that's not what fights are like. Okay. Fights go wherever they go and you got to be prepared. So, you know, that's, that's the way I approach it. These things are all good. Um, but like you can overdo calf kicks, you know? But, so, yeah. So that's how I look at it. Yeah. And, and something also interesting with like fasting nowadays, and I don't know if you mentioned this to me over the phone or something recently, but like nowadays I'll still look at it like fasting, but I just had a protein shake with some like coffee and there's like some, there's some heavy cream with coffee, but I'm, I'm not going to eat again until probably this evening. Mm-hmm. But I, even though that's calories, I'm still looking at uh, as like a fast, you know what I mean? Um, and technically I had calories. So a lot of people be like, that's not fasting, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to like, there are some days where I won't have something in the morning, but mm-hmm. I'll have something like that or I'll have a protein shake mm-hmm. throughout the day. And the the thing that happened with me over the years is just my hunger is not as voracious as it was, where mm-hmm. if I would get hungry, I would have to fucking respond or else my mood would get it. Like I'd get annoyed or whatever. I'm not controlled by that anymore. 
but I can intermittently eat whenever I want and just be perfectly okay. It's like mm-hmm. I have better signals mm-hmm. of how much I should eat and when I should mm-hmm. eat. And it's, it's very auto-regulated. Mm-hmm. Like I don't count anymore, but it's very just intuitive. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause that's okay. you, you hit on something pretty fascinating. Um, so where I'm at now with this and what I put in the book was that let's break fasting down and why does fasting do what it, well, why does fasting work? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we start to break fasting down. We go, well, you know, you get autophagy, you get ubiquination. So you get the breakdown of stuff that has to go in the trash, kind of keeps things clean. Okay, that's good. Um, you get the signal pathways activated. You get the sirtuins activated. You get AMPK activated. Okay, you know, that, that's, that's good. Um, and, and you start to just break fasting down into its concomitant mechanisms. And you go, okay, well, <clears throat> can we activate those apart from fasting? And yeah, wow, wait, actually we can. So one of the best ways is through the gut. So we can manipulate the bacteria in the gut to, to produce the phytobacteria, to produce bacteria that really help those things, that help those pathways turn on, mm-hmm. that help, um, I and mean, you just keep making your list, like uh, um, HDAC inhibition. That just means that we're making better copies of DNA so we can make proteins, okay? Well, we can do that with the phytobacteria. You know, in the gut, you can do it. And you just keep going down this list. And it's like, wow, yeah. So there seems to be probably a pretty good case that we can activate a lot of these same pathways before fasting so that we don't have to fast as long. Mm. And then on top of that, when we turn to the insulin side of the equation and we go, well, why, what, what, let's keep going. What, what's another reason fasting works? Well, one reason seems to be that you get this sense, you get this cessation or pause in signals down the IGF one IIS pathway. Okay, so when you look at when you look at glucose transport and when you look at what gets turned on when cells bring glucose in, mm-hmm. you have the metabolic pathway. Okay, and that sort of uses mTOR as kind of a throttle. So in the metabolic pathway, mTOR works like a, like, like the, it works like the accelerator. It's like, mm, back off on the gas or we need more gas. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other side of the equation is a pathway, the MAPK pathway that controls progression of cell cycles. Okay. And so there's a, there's a theory on aging, the signal pathway theory that has, has probably pretty good reason to believe that the more signals down that pathway, the faster you age. And if you just look at the signal pathways, in bringing glucose in the cell kind of makes a lot of sense. makes a ton of sense. So fasting kind of turns that off, gives us a little break, okay? The other thing is that fasting also helps replete acromancia, okay? So acromancia is the other half of the commensal bacteria equation. It's the one we need to keep the gut lining working the way it should. And very difficult to feed through food. You can, but it's tough. But fasting repletes acromancia. So acromancia doesn't like dietary protein, um, the best way to understand it is your mouth makes saliva and that saliva has glycoproteins or proteins in it and you have bacteria in your mouth and that's what they feed on. So acromancia feeds on saliva secreted in the gut and it likes that. But when you have like too much protein in the diet, you're activating these growth signal pathways. Okay. And you're advantaging other kinds of bacteria that prefer their nitrogen from the diet. Okay. So there's a lot of things to think about here, but it seems to be complementary that when you are spinning up bifidobacteria, that helps acromancia. And if you do it before a fast, then you fast, you're spinning up acromancia and you have this balance of things that you can make a really good case is optimal. Then the other side of the equation becomes, so when you're fasting, you're ceasing, you're ceasing 
for the most part, the production of insulin. Okay. That's not bad, you know, periodically. The other side of that equation is certain types of fibers um, tend to potentiate insulin sensitivity. Okay. So you have all these helper hormones around insulin. You know, like insulin doesn't do its job alone. You have the incretin proteins, which is GIP, GLP-1. You have um, adiponectin. So you have these other hormones, the family of insulin hormones that help insulin do its thing. And so you can make this case, and I tried to make it in the book, I hope I made a good case, that there's this, there's this way of eating that takes all the benefits of fasting and makes it better. You know, you get insulin sensitization through fibers prior to fasting. You get this pre-activation of signal pathways before fasting. And I think that there's a proof of it. I'll, I'll probably have you guys try it, which is if you do it, you get hungrier way, way faster. Mm. Hunger is sort of one of your indicators that you've been fasting. Okay. What you see, like when most people start fasting initially is they don't get that hungry. They're like, I'm kind of good. I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, you have them start doing fibers a day before and like, man, I'm starving. What time? What time? What time are we eating? We were going to do. We were going to do a a twenty twenty four. Let's let's just dial that back. Let's eat at lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see it pretty fast. Okay. Hey guys, you like cereal. I like cereal. Let's not eat the bad stuff though. That's why we've partnered with Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has number one amazing macros: zero grams of sugar, four grams of carbs, fourteen grams of protein, and one hundred and forty calories per serving. You're not getting all the icky sugar that you get from normal cereal. Magic mm-hmm. Spoon is the way to go. That's why we love it, and it fits our diet. Andrew, how can people get it? Absolutely. You guys got to head over to MagicSpoon.com/powerproject. You guys will see the variety pack. That's four different flavors, and it's really an awesome way to kind of dip your toe into the cereal bowl. So that way, you guys can figure out which flavor you like the most and when you go there you're actually going to receive five dollars off that variety pack again magicspoon.com slash power project links to them down in the description let's get back to the video um rent rent done one one of the uh one of the other areas that i see you talk about quite a bit is and this is i've talked about this with training um the best program is the one you're currently not doing and it always seems to be the case you know as soon as you start leaning towards like i'm going to be stronger you work on being stronger, and because you focused your efforts in on that, now maybe you're missing another piece of the puzzle. The next month, you're like, I'm going to work on mobility, and you work on your mobility, and maybe your strength diminishes a little bit. And it's hard to keep all these plates spinning at the same time. Uh, but the same thing happens with our nutrition, and as you pointed out, um, one of the few people that I've I've heard point this out, and this was been benef- beneficial to me in uh, me kind of relaying message to people. Uh, I got to be a little bit more cautious or careful when I do something or try something. I, I, I try to give it more time because you're like, there's a honeymoon period, you know, where it's like, Mark, if you were to switch over to, to eating four apples a day, you might see profound <laughs> impact on, I mean, you might have these great results just because it's so different than what you're currently doing. Um, and so I think that's something for people to keep in mind is like, when you switch from one diet to another, there is this honeymoon period. But I'd also say that it makes a lot of sense to uh, to investigate and to want to continue to change your diet and to have your diet evolve. Um, I've always liked a ketogenic style diet. Every year at some point, I'll probably go back to it where I eat a lot more fat than I am right now. Um, I also kind of like bodybuilding style diets where I eat you know, rice and potatoes and lower fat foods. Um, but I like getting some different foods in there here and there. Um, 
wh- why have you uh, kind of chose that route yourself to kind of um, put that forward in terms of education of, of letting people know that it's probably a good idea to mix your diet up here and there? I think you could make a really good argument that seasonality and variability are sort of endemic to human history, that, you know, we didn't have refrigerators for a long time. And as a result, when you, and I, I've, I've actually gone and looked at like, you know, both locally where I live going and looking at what the Indians ate and then just through research looked at, you know, what, what um, ancient populations ate. It's actually pretty varied. And a lot of it depends on the season. A lot of it tends on, depends on availability. So the rule of thumb is you're going to eat what's available. That's the rule of thumb. And, you know, sometimes what's available right in front of you is just berries and roots. Sometimes it's a water buffalo. Sometimes, you know, it's a seal. I mean, mm-hmm. it just depends on what's available. Um, and then with that, there's the notion that seasons change and with seasons, uh, availability and very of things changes. And that there, you could probably make a really good case that based on the lat lines your ancestors lived at, there's even some advantages to changing it up during things like winter versus summer. You could probably make a really good case for that. It's not universal because there are genetic components of it. But generally speaking, I think that if you look at the latitudes that your ancestors lived at, you'll probably see, you know, kind of like a, an inkling of what's best for you. Mm. Um, good example would be like in winter, your testosterone's a little higher. Um, I think it makes a case during the winter for, you know, um, certain certain populations to have more of certain types of foods, maybe more protein during winter, um, and you can make these cases. You know, so how about calories? Do you, is that a thing where like in winter? Because like in winter, like naturally, I start to eat more food. Yeah, like my appetite gets higher in winter, mm-hmm. and during the summer months, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel like I eat as much. Yeah, it's like hot; you don't want to eat. Yeah, right. I think that's yeah. I think that's I think that's natural. Um, and I think there is a lot to that. I think that. Again, it's season seasonality, availability. I think that, um, yeah, all these things factor in. Like at certain times of the year, you're going to eat less. Certain times of the year, you're going to eat more. You're going to eat more of different things. And I think those are good things. I think mm-hmm. that when you eat the same thing all the time, just in my experience, what I've seen is you see a lot of autoimmune issues. You see allergies. You see stuff. So variability in the diet. And when I say balance, you know, I, I talk about in the immunity code about balance, but I don't want to confuse that with the four food groups. That's not what it is. What it is is that you can have your season. You can have your, your summer months of, you know, I did keto during the summer, but during winter, you know, it's, it's, there's a good idea to get a balance overall across time in the diet. Mm. Yeah. And calories, um, I mean, that's a whole podcast, but um, let's just say that, um, you know, calories absolutely matter. I mean, you'd be an idiot to say that they don't. So yes, they absolutely matter, but they're not the only thing. Other things matter too. So, do you think they're grossly miscalculated? Like the calories outside your body seem to be quite different than what your body's actually uh, registering and accounting for once it goes inside your body. Like uh, the way that uh, I digest an orange might be different than the way that you digest an orange. But for purposes of like having some sort of valued measure, it's mm-hmm. easier just to say, "Hey, it's got four calories per." You know, once we get into fiber and once we get into 
protein, like shit just gets really complicated. And there's probably still a lot of stuff that we don't know. There's probably certain fats that don't get digested the same and, and so forth. Yeah. So what you're speaking to is energy intake versus energy net or energy harvest from the diet. And they are two different things. Uh, the gut has a lot to do with that. So the, the bacteria in the gut have a lot to do with that. It's not just carbohydrate digestion either. Um, it's also surface area of the gut. So certain bacteria like acromantia shrink the gut surface area. Mm. And so what you see is that like people with healthy populations of acromantia, they don't absorb the same amount of calories as people who have like dysbiotic bacteria. Uh, what you see in obesity is uh, people with like, you know, let's call it the obese gut. They have an excess harvest of short chain fatty acids from the diet. So they're actually taking in more calories mm. from bacterial fermentation. And so, yeah, there's other factors that absolutely affect that 100%. You can't say that there aren't. What's the deal with uh, sugar alcohols? Because now there's like a lot of keto stuff popping up and we're seeing uh, more and more products hit the market and uh, it will say keto friendly. It'll be circled in the thing. And mm -hmm. and then you look at the back of it and it's like it says it has 23 carbs and you're like, I don't understand what's happening here. Um, what are these sugar alcohols and what are some of your opinions on them? Well, there's different ones. Uh, there's, there's different, you know, like xylitol, for example. Um, some of these in the research have been shown to benefit the gut. Um, it's a mixed bag. And I, I think there's a lot of variability w with individuals. There, there can be things like different density of receptors in the gut, you know, glut receptors, different things. So I just think it's a mixed bag. And I think in small amounts, they're fine. I think like anything else in excess, uh, you probably don't want to do that. Do you think they literally don't register as calories? Like, cause that's kind of, I think that's what they're professing, right? I don't really, I don't know that anybody knows. Right. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think that it, is, it depends on a lot of factors, I think. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Earlier in the episode, we didn't actually get into what you did or what you started taking, but you mentioned that your testosterone hit a wall. Mm -hmm. Now we didn't go into, okay, so what, what are you doing as far as like mm -hmm. maybe supplementation or anything to, to, yeah. do, to help with that? And also, I mean, just like, what are you doing? But then what would you suggest to any man that's yeah. listening? Yeah. Um, things that they could take. I yeah. started recently just taking Fedosia and Tonecot just yeah. to see what it does. Yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. what would you suggest? Yeah. I have a different take on that probably from a lot of people. So I'm, I'm holding off on like the TRT and the, and steroids and all that stuff. Like uh, I'm shooting for about 60. I want to see how much mileage I can get out of just, you know, without that for the reason that I think that uh, the body's got a window of use of that stuff of about 30 years. And I'd like to make a really clean 90, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so I'm just trying to kind of get by right now. And I was doing really good for a number of years, uh, just kind of with a routine I had, which wasn't too much really. Um, doing really well. And then, and then uh, I just, I'm, I'm going to be 57 in a month and I really hit a wall about three months ago where like, oh, is this what it's like? <laughs> and I, I've always been of the opinion, like, like people ask me questions about what should you do at this point in time? And my answer is like, I don't know until I get there. Mm. I won't know. And, and so like, I kind of got to one of those points and I, I definitely noticed like just my energy dropped. I wasn't sleeping well and it took me a couple months. I finally fixed it. And the answer was I, I threw everything at it. So to go down that checkbox list of boxes on the T side. So kind of all your standard stuff, um, ZMA, uh, high vitamin D. Um, I, so fenugreek testophen mm -hmm. works really well, but 
it aromatizes like crazy on me. So I, I can't take that stuff. I thought uh, I thought that that would lower your estrogen or no? Well, wrong. it increases prolactin. And oh. so it just, it doesn't work for me. So I can't take that stuff. Um, then long jack, ton of long jack, like a, like three grams Whoa. of long jack. Yeah. Gee. Okay. Yeah. Ton of that. And long jack for people that know is tonkat ali. Same, yeah. like, same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, tonkat ali. And then, um, Mixing in a high fat meal uh, three times a week at bedtime, like a really high fat meal. Okay. Yeah, to help testosterone synthesis uh, during the night. And then uh, some DHEA. And then um, I just recently tried turkesterone. Okay. Oh, that's been going super popular recently. Yeah. I yeah. know nothing about turkesterone, but yeah. what's, so what's the big deal with it? Well, back Is it in just a supplement? Well, back in the, in the mid 2000s, yeah, it's a supplement. Okay. Uh, back in the mid 2000s, ectosterone was like this plant sterol that kind of blew up. Like, um, uh, what's his name? Vince. Um, gosh, why, why, I don't mean to do him a disservice. Really cool guy. Worked at Quest. Um, blanking. Uh, sorry, Vince. His, if you're watching. his name will pop up later. Yeah, yeah, it'll come up. Yeah, it'll come up. Um, he had a supplement line that was really good, and they had a uh, they had a tea product that had uh, ectosterone, and it. it worked worked pretty well. So it's a cousin of ectosterone. It's a plant sterol. Mm-hmm. Um, that works pretty well. Works pretty well. Um, but I think it works pretty well in combination with all these other things. Um, another thing is uh, there's a there's a Japanese um, what is this stuff? Um, blanking on the name of this. Well, there's a Japanese uh, sublingual or not a Japanese, a Chinese sublingual that uh, it'll pop into my head in a second. Um, and then unichi oyster along with that. Unichi oyster. Yeah. That so I like I said I'm just throwing everything at this. Um, oysters I think are natural aphrodisiac. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oysters. Uh, so that. Um, gosh, what else? I'm running through my supplement cabinet here in my brain. <laughs> um, there's more. Uh, that's that's giving you an idea though. Like like just I've heard people talk about maca. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just never worked for me. Um, neither. Uh, ashwagandha has never really worked for me either. <laughs> yeah, people went crazy with that too. Yeah, recently. Okay. so. Um, but that's, that's kind of like your, your, yeah. So I feel like I've corrected it now. Um, all that kind of together, taking most of that in the evening and then again, taking it in the morning. Gotcha. So, yeah. Did you ever mess with any of the pro hormones from back in the day? The only thing. Cause that, there was some wild shit out there. Yeah. Okay. So here's my story. Somebody asked me a while back, like where, like how I think trend got popular. Mm. And I think it got popular because there was a product that was on the market okay. that was called trend. Here's my trend story. And it was really. Oh, <laughs> geez. So you buy it at max muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, t- yeah. 15 years ago? Something Not like that? even yeah. that long. 2006. Even, even when I was messing around with stuff, yeah. like I can, you can go to like, yeah, Max Muscle or whatever, and it'd be in the glass container in Dude, the front. Kids' faces would get so swollen. They'd yeah. be like, oh yeah, I'm taking trend. <laughs> yeah. And they'd get strong and their face yeah. would be fat. And you're like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So 2006, there was this company called Something Labs. And they made a product called Trend. Oh, God. And <laughs> unbeknownst to anybody, it had real Trend in it. Okay? <laughs> so I bought a bottle of that stuff, and I'm at the gym one day, and I'm like 30% stronger, and I'm like, why am I so strong? Jeez, what's going on with this stuff? And then, um, like, I got a zit on my back, and I was like, I'm not digging that stuff. What's in that? So, I don't know, like a month later, the dude behind the company went to jail. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people got tons of acne from that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And that Everyone's was like, end. it works. Look at all yeah. the acne I got. Yeah. And that was the end of that product. Um, remember so, Hot uh, Stuff had some bullshit in it too. Remember that product? Uh, yeah. Hot, hot Stuff. stuff. Hot Stuff. Oh, so Hot Stuff had, um, 
D-ball. E- everything. It had Diana ball. Did it have it, real Diana ball? I think so, yeah. Did it? I thought I it was, it had bull's balls. It had orchic. Oh. Yeah, that, I don't know. Hot stuff, so hot stuff was like. I eight, guess I've had bull's balls. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> Summer of 87, um, hot stuff comes out. And I remember the ad. It was a Bill Phillips ad. I think he probably wrote the thing. Uh, or I don't want to do, do a disservice to him if he didn't. But it was like one of these long, wordy ads. And it was like, what happened to me when I changed out my hot stuff? <laughs> my gain stopped. <laughs> and this, it, it, like, it had like, everything you can think of in it. But it, it actually had like a lot of ahead of its time stuff. It had Yohimbi. Um, hmm. It had, um, gosh, it had just so many things in it. It had like 50 grams of like um, liver protein in it. It was the first wow. supplement to have, um, like, to throw the kitchen sink at you. Like the kitchen had sink ev- had yeah, everything. everything in it. Everything. Had caffeine in it. <laughs> everything, yeah. It had vitamins and minerals in it. There like it is. That, that's <laughs> that, yeah. Okay, then I can read you off what's in it then. Yeah. That's, that's, There's a, that's not the, but the original head. Okay, well, okay, then go ahead. Because if this isn't the original, I don't want to. You know, you know what really it. worked? I, I mean, like. Ultimate Orange? Ultimate Orange. <laughs> yeah. Ultimate Orange. This is a, I've heard about <laughs> These this. These guys heard about this before. Yeah. 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 Huberman was talking, of, or you were talking to Huberman yeah, about it. Yeah, we think there's crystal meth in there. <laughs> yeah. Ultimate Orange, man. Well, it was a Mawa. It was the Ephedra. Oh, like, yeah, the Ephedra. Duchesne designed that. Dan yep. Duchesne, man. Man, you guys had all the great supplements. supplements. used to be really uh, fun. They yeah. worked. Wow. I mean, they just, they worked. Like, really the They send you right to the emergency room. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Ultimate Orange was like, <laughs> go hard or go home, uh, yeah, or, or the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> it made it made you uh, made you crazy. Some of those things. Mm. You mentioned something lightweight. You mentioned that like certain things. You think they only. You have a theory that they only work for thirty years. What do you mean by that? I just mean looking at um, people that have I've seen use uh, steroids for a very very long time. Um, there's a look the body has, like when. I've seen people that have just first gone on them and it's this, what I would call a youthful look where the muscle bellies just pop and they just pop in this very inflated kind of way. And I've seen people like in their late sixties that have never done anything and then they go on steroids and they get that incredibly youthful look in the body. They just muscle bellies are full. Everything pops. And then I've seen people who've done them for very, very long periods and it doesn't look the same. Like they, they get these really big forearms, but really kind of weird estrogeny traps and don't seem to, so there, there seems to be something with that. Maybe it's receptor attenuation. I don't know. And it's just, you don't have any proof of that. It's just kind of what I've observed. Okay. I might be wrong, but that's just, so for me, I'm just kind of tracking with what makes sense to me. I have definitely noticed something similar. And I think that it might have more to do with injuries than maybe anything else. Cause a mm. lot of these guys are just like, that's a good point. Like just, they're fucked up, you know? Yeah, they, that's a really they've good torn point. torn a lot of muscles mm-hmm. and uh, maybe aren't able to train the same way. You know, that's such a good point. And that gets to um, stem cell repletion in the muscles and basically clearing adhesions in the muscles. Like, our buddy Ron Penna has really great muscle bellies. Ron has, like, fantastically full muscle bellies. And I used to think he was on stuff, but oh. now I'm I'm more convinced that he just, he gets a lot of body work. And that body work gets those adhesions out of the muscles. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I noticed when I started doing that kind of stuff, like like the muscle belly started to pop again. I think that's a key uh, component to uh, people having a natural look. Mm. Uh, maybe you would agree. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Where yeah, the yeah. muscle tissues, even though even though someone like Encima is totally fucking jacked, yeah, his muscles. Uh, they, it's hard to say that they look soft because that's not the correct wording, but they don't look like they're super tense. Yeah. They look supple. They look supple. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> supple. They even feel supple. Yeah, go you know? ahead. Mm. Squeeze them. Oh, yeah. yeah oh. See? 
They're, they're juicy. You can really wow. get beefy. Really dig into them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's different than uh, <laughs> molesting Stan Efforting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> different feel, huh? Mm-hmm. You've molested both. Stan is well, so hard. <laughs> I hit Stan after a set one time. It's like a rock. Like, <laughs> yeah, after a set of squats that he did, I was like, ah, oh, good job. And I hit him in the back, and I was like, that was literally like slapping the monolift. I was like, what the oh, fuck shit. is that? It's like, ding. I'm like, holy shit. That's, that is such an interesting point. Um, like, I've just seen enough different bodies i kind of know a natural body like like this guy's got an i could just know he's just on a natural body but it, it, yeah it gets to that kind of like um supple full muscle belly it's a certain kind of look that you just know it when you see it Interesting. you know i think some guys that use stuff like if you were to press into we're getting a little weird feedback I don't know over what here. that is um i don't know yeah. who's wearing a wire do you, joel put it, your put, right arm up to the mic real quick no, I thought that's that what thing. it was. Nope, it's not His that. hand. They could take this off. Maybe. No, it's not. No, it's it not that. Be it's not that. That's weird. UFO interference. Aliens. Hello. Huh. <laughs> it's the government. Oh, wait. oh, there it is. Wait a second. Let me no. just set this over here. There. Well, Joel has. He's mm. been chipped. You know, he's got a. Yeah. Thing yeah. in his brain, and it, that's where that he gets all this. It. That's where he gets all this information. Yeah, the from. aliens. They inserted their. Uh, are you saying something about muscles? Yeah, anyway, I was going to say that <laughs> I think uh, some individuals that use stuff, and you've talked about this before, old muscle versus new muscle, old body versus new body kind of thing, or young body, rather. When you look at individuals that use stuff, it almost appears that their muscles, um, like if they were to get like a massage, you're just kind of imagining that it would it would probably hurt. You know, whereas I think if you look at his muscles, if he was, if you were to dig in on his muscles, I don't think... I mean, you could probably hurt him. You could probably find somewhere that hurts on him. But I think most likely he probably doesn't have like adhesions and scar tissue. And mm. his muscles probably just aren't tense and they're probably not a mess. I, I don't know why that is or, or what that's yeah, part of. I really believe that. I, I've noticed in myself um, and other people I've witnessed over the years that when I was in my 20s, 30s, it was kind of, I was kind of always pumped. And then as you get older, it just you look flat. And then once I started doing like kind of body work and sort of rolling the arms out and stuff after working out that the, the being able to get pumped kind of came back and keeping it kind of came wow. back. So I think, I think the adhesions have a lot to do with it. I probably, it probably helps um, stem cell replacement as well. So I just like my whole body when I was like on a lot of stuff and when I was powerlifting, my whole body um, like always felt like it had a lot of tension in it and it did for a reason. I mean, I was trying to be as strong as I possibly could. So I just, that energy was kind of almost sitting there all the time. But if someone was to like, just for example, step on my hamstrings to like loosen my hamstrings up, that would just probably send me through the roof as opposed to now someone could probably walk on them. And I, I doubt it would hurt. My calves are still pretty tight, but for the most part, the rest of me um, has gotten to be uh, a lot more supple, but still working on it. Work in progress. Mm, Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. Can we talk about some some of your like physical practices because yeah. mm-hmm. um you know you you've come on the podcast and talked about sprinting we can talk about that again but you've been also uh talking a lot about the ancestral squat yeah. on your on mm-hmm. your page mm-hmm. um and yeah yeah like and also you mentioned something um about flexibility and mobility mm-hmm. and one thing that a lot of within again within fitness there's a lot of people that are like yeah being flexible is somewhat useless you don't need to be flexible obviously you want to be you want to be mobile and strong, but mm-hmm. there's also a, a, a sect of people who are like, it's useless to be flexible. You shouldn't be, you, that's, that's unnecessary, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What would you talk about as far as maintaining a young body mm-hmm. with physical practices? 
Well, one important thing is the ability to rapidly change directions without getting injured. Mm. That's huge. Um, and what you see with, so I'm just, I feel like, I feel like I'm channeling Dorian Yates at this point in my life. Like if you, if you listen to Dorian Yates, you know, he's talking about like, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, I'm not, I've had big muscles. I'm over it. I'm, I'm interested in my mobility, my flexibility, my energy, you know? And I, I think that's kind of a, I think that's where this path leads a lot of people is that when you've, once you've kind of like had your fill of more plates, more dates and all, and I don't mean that any disservice to Derek or anything. I just mean, you know, out of that ethos. Um, I think once you've had your fill of that and you start to get older, you start to see what starts happening. And it's, and it, it, number one thing is, um, limitation of mobility as you get older is like becomes the number one thing number one thing like it, it, like you take for granted when you're younger the ability to get up and go and do what you want to do but as soon as you start losing that um it, it's very terrifying and I, I had a scare uh in 2014 because i took uh cipro nearly blew out both achilles i lost 25 pounds i couldn't walk for like two months what did you do to do that cipro cipro what is that it's a antibiotic Oh shit! Yeah, and since then I've talked to a bunch of people that the exact same or much, much, much worse happened to them. And what? So you know, I was like everybody, every other dummy in a room. The doctor said, "Just take this." I'm like, "Oh great, yeah, okay, sounds good." And then, boom! Like, whoa! And I didn't know what happened. Took me a long time researched it. Finally, figured out. Oh, this causes mitochondrial toxicity, which is another way of saying it kills you slowly. And. Oh yeah, this is a big thing, man. Like, um, in fact, I've I just is it just a normal antibiotic that they just yeah, prescribe? It's, it's really strong. It's uh, it's a it's a quinine. Why did you need it, or just, why did the doctor think you needed? I just had a skin rash. That's all, and the doctor oh. gave me that, and like it 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 dealt with a skin rash, and then it dealt with everything else too. <laughs> so one of the things you see with Cipro is it, it's kind of like not uncommon to see Achilles blowouts. Okay, and I came like to the cliff of blowing out both Achilles just from walking, and so I, I literally was at a point for a couple months in 2014 where like I, I had to get on crutches to get into the kitchen, and I was on the couch most of the time, and I just I lost all this weight, and that was pretty scary. It was like, wow, this is what it's like to not be mobile, I and mean, that just scared the heck out of me. Um, so it just solidified something for me that was already there, which was like particularly with age. What's going to mean more to you with over time is to keep your body energetic, supple, and 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 able to be within what I call an athletic range. That's like athletic range is not the same thing as gym shape. It's more the ability to engage in athletic stuff without getting injured. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's jujitsu, maybe it's a sprint, maybe it's uh, a handstand, or whatever. But it's it's things that you could just do because you had a little kids are you know they're indestructible. They can do whatever. You can't hurt them. Um, and it's getting as close as you can get to that. That I'm finding over time, that means more to me. And keeping that means more to me. So that's a big piece of the equation with mobility and flexibility for me. Yeah. So I think on your Instagram, you doing like a, it's not a handstand, but oh, it's just like. Frog stance. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Well, that's what I call it. I don't, I don't know what it's called. It's fro- frog stance? Frog stance, whatever it's called. You're like on your head yeah. and your hands or no, you're on your hands and your knee and your, your, uh, I'm sorry, your elbows are supported by your knees oh. and you're upside down basically. There we go. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, a simple or, strength warm up like thing. So I'll do those. I'll do like, um, I'll do planks, you know, with a body extended in the air, just athletic stuff, wow. trying to do athletic stuff, you know, and just the thing with that kind of stuff is that. If you try and do something every day, you can hang on to the body's range. Um, 
And if you stop doing stuff like that, what you find is when you start changing directions quickly, you get hurt. Mm. Okay, that's where injuries come from. So when when the when your when your body's used to doing athletic things or or it's used to just changing directions quickly and taking force and and stopping you you keep the body kind of supple you keep it young do you mess around with other exercises that you know can assist with uh change of direction like are you like i don't know throwing a med ball or jumping down from a box or jumping up on a box or what else are you doing i like to mix in just kind of around the house um fast directional changes on my ankles and my feet okay so um there's a what's that guy's name uh are you guys familiar with speed of sport sounds familiar he trains a lot of mma guys he trains dasanyos he trains um a bunch of probably a lot a lot of other guys well his whole thing is that as you age one of the things you lose is the ability to produce power through the feet directional changes and power through the feet and when you were young you had the ability to produce tremendous power through the feet Okay, and take tremendous directional changes through the feet. And what happens as you get older is the feet get weak. Yes. Mm. Let's talk about this. Yes. <laughs> the feet get weak. The, like, like, and, and I, I, I didn't know this. I didn't, like, I never thought about it until I heard him talk about it. And then, you know, I, I just thought back to my sprinting days. And yeah, I was like, yeah, man, I used to like really put a lot of power through my feet. And so I've made it a point over the last few years to just work on power through the feet and directional changes through the feet. Just, just by, you know, just, stupid little things that bouncing I around like you're um, yeah. like boxing almost type thing kind of stuff like that yeah and it's it's uh particularly with age you know you're always seeing like ankle rolls and all this stuff so the feet get weak yeah, people even do it when they walk Some, sometimes people walk and then they go they hurt their ankle because mm-hmm. they're like kind of stumble on a curb or something mm-hmm. and it's if it happens to you when you're 20 you're probably totally fine but if it happens to you when you're 65 or something like that that could be the thing that sidelines you that ends up leading to uh, all kinds of crap. About to do something that's never been done. Um, oh, what is this? It's that uh, speed of sport. Guy, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, look at that. So there you go. This is all stuff to train power through the feet. Uh, Nick Curzon. Nick Curzon. You ought to have him on the podcast. I already yeah, follow him. Yeah. Andrew. Eh. Whoa. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I wear these. Ah. Okay, these are the, these are called Vivo Barefoot Shoes, right? Mm. They're minimal soles. They have a wide toe box so that your toes can spread, mm-hmm. right? And you're not your feet aren't like <laughs> smashed into your shoe. Mark has some too. Um, but like your body, your foot's really able to feel the floor. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like I feel like I want to move more. It's like there's like it's almost like being barefoot. Mm. That's why like I have a bunch of these. But like the, the foot weakness, that's that's been a big thing on my mind for the past few months, just because it's like when we wear these shoes that like have massive levels of padding mm-hmm. and you're not able to actually feel the ground, they're nice and comfortable, mm-hmm. but your feet get weak. Yes. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's just like, that's a big deal, especially mm-hmm. as people get older. You see people wearing like these new balances with the biggest Big soles old. ever. Yeah. And it's like memory foam. Like mm-hmm. if your feet are weak, that's where you produce a lot of force as an athlete. It's, yep. it's important. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I go barefoot a lot. I do a yeah. lot of like stuff barefoot. My wife kind of like goes, yeah, ground, gross. Why do you? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's um, for that reason, like just. When I was, when we were kids, I think most kids run around barefoot a lot, mm-hmm. and I you know I try and replicate that. Like I, I'm barefoot a lot, and just I just do dorky stuff, changing directions on my feet every day. So. Yeah, we were talking earlier about supplements and sleep and stuff like that. Have you found any supplements that seem to actually assist with sleep or oh, do yeah. anything that you've noticed? Oh gosh, tons. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I again in the research, there's this. Uh, I love these words that they come up with in the research mm-hmm. for like stupid things. Like there's this word called combination therapy. Like, oh, 
What's that? All it means is the kitchen sink. All it means is just throwing everything at the problem. And in my experience, I talk a lot about this in the immunity code that there's never, almost never, like the Rosetta Stone panacea, like one silver bullet kills all. It's never that. But what, what is very realistic is a 5% improvement from one thing and then about 10 things that give you a 5% improvement. And then you get a, a real lift. You, you can see measurable changes. So with respect to sleep, like for me, the last few months in correcting that, I just threw everything at it, you know? So in that list would be, um, both CBD and CBN. CBN. Yeah. Hmm. So CBD helps with sleep onset. Uh, CBN helps with sleep duration. Hmm. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's in the family of, you know, those endocannabinoid receptor simulators. Does the CBD have THC in it? No, no, no. Actually, gosh, your brother would probably know. Sometimes it has tiny amounts and some, yeah. Dosages? Uh, I, I kind of tend to do a lot on that. So they come in these little bottle droppers and, you know, it says just do one dropper. I'll do like three, whatever the bottle <laughs> droppers are. So, Naturally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so CBN is, it's, it's a cousin of CBD and I've noticed it definitely helps with middle of the night, like that 2 a.m. waking thing definitely helps with that. Um, and then along with that, for me, mega dosing oleamide. So I'll do like a gram and a half of oleamide. Oleamide? Yeah. What is that? So it's another, um... That's another endocannabinoid antagonist. Um, it's kind of in that family, but oleamide seems to really help with um, sleep induction, helps with quality of sleep. And then along with that, I will do, um, I tell you what just flat out works, is um, lavender on the soles of the feet and then on the forearms. Oh, yeah, okay. really works. And just, you know, you just go down the checkbox. Uh, one thing that really helps a lot. I was just curious about uh, lavender, though. Um, yeah, I don't remember his name, but somebody had mentioned that it can like uh, suppress testosterone or elevate your estrogen levels or something like that. Mm-hmm. And just because somebody mentioned it, I've gotten all the lavender away from my son. Uh-huh. Like we threw it all out of the house. Yeah, but that's why I was just curious about that. If there's any, um, I, I haven't concern. studied that, so mm-hmm. I don't have an answer for that one okay. thing. I know that it does help with sleep and anything that helps it with sleep. It definitely does. We had this like combination of, of essential oils for him. Mm-hmm. He could be freaking out, and then we'd have a little combo of things, and he would you know rub it on his feet. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, totally different baby. But then I looked, and I'm like, ah, lavender, get it out of here. Just, <laughs> just because I, I, I don't know, but just in case, I don't want to mess with anything of his as far as his development. I wonder though, like even so like, yeah, cause mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about the lavender stuff, but when it comes to sleep, mm-hmm. if lavender Which one's can, more beneficial, especially at, if lavender, let's say it does do a little bit of testosterone suppression, but mm-hmm. during sleep, we have all these other things going on. What if it's massively actually, yeah. it's just great for your sleep and you get all this recovery mm-hmm. and it's not going to like, it's not, you're not going to have those effects all day long. Yeah. And also what about like, that makes a lot of sense. What about the effects of like alcohol? You know, like some people are like, man, if I have a drink, it actually helps relax me. It helps me sleep. And then the science kind of says different, but people's uh, empirical evidence, I think, means something. Sometimes people will say, yeah, I'd like to smoke some pot and it it helps chill me out and it helps, you know, and then again, there's, there's some research, but who knows how the research being is being done. (laughs) Uh, Whenever I, I, I'm very resistant to research a lot of times because I will uh, a lot of times say, well, that ain't me. Like I, the research that they do on people, I think is usually not done on people that are maybe as active as me. 
Um, so maybe I'm foolish in saying that, thinking that I get a pass from that, but I'm usually like, well, I don't know. You know, like even uh, I was going back and forth with Stan Efforting more recently about, you know, running and trying to maintain size and this and that. And I was like, I'm just going to see for myself. You know what I mean? Like we can go back and forth on this all day, but I ain't like those other people that you're talking about. And I want to see what I'm actually able, able to do. And if I lose a little muscle mass, I don't care. And I'm not, you know, I, I can admit it, but what, what do you think, you know, in terms of somebody getting to sleep and, and um, maybe not making it a huge habit, but having a little bit of alcohol or smoking some weed or something like that? Just anecdotally speaking, um, people that I know that, um, you know, smoke weed prior to sleep, like sometimes it's the thing that, that helps them. It's the thing, like nothing else worked and then that worked. Um, I have a couple of friends I'm thinking of like that. They just yeah. like to get to sleep. Um, I have a friend who's an attorney has a really stressful job. And for a while that was the only thing working for him. He was, you know, mm-hmm. you hear this thing nowadays of like people waking up like at two thirty and they're just pegged adrenaline pegged from two to 4am, which is, um, a thing. It's a lack of clearing cortisol and all that. And that's the thing that helped him. And then, um, yeah. So you think that can, alcohol is another animal. Um, I just don't like it at all anymore just because I, I found the negatives far outweigh the positives, but, um, you know, it definitely helps you get to sleep. I found most people, it, uh, wakes them up in the middle of the night. Mm. So it, it helps sleep onset. It's terrible for sleep duration. Um, but it's great for thermogenesis while you're sleeping, which in college we called the sweats. Um, so there's that. Yeah. So yeah. Help with some fat burning as I did the bottle of <laughs> bottle of wine a day. Mm. So how'd that work out for you? Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. it was actually awesome. Was it a ketogenic wine? Was it a dry form wine? Uh, yeah, it was, a mm. yeah, there's a comp, there's a, a company that sources, uh, wines that have less sugar it's called dry farm wines and they, they had a lot of great taste in wines. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah, crank through, <laughs> crank through a bottle a day. It was actually kind of, it, it was interesting because, you know, day one was kind of fun and mm-hmm. then you get like two, three days into it and you're like, this is kind of weird. And then trying to figure out how to manage my day. You know, and I don't want to be drinking and driving and things like that. That got to be weird. So Tesla, I was like, yeah, yeah, Tesla. Yeah. But I saw somebody uh, had an accident on the oh. on TV, and they, they were they were drunk driving and trying to have their Tesla on autopilot. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, wow. autopilot. But I think they were like really hammered. I think they were uh, they were pretty hammered. Yeah. So before we hop off here, we have to announce this because it's about that time to announce this, but. Um, Joel has been helping me with some supplements and we have our, we have a product that is on the way, if it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot today about fasting and we have the first ever fasting gum that's going to be hitting the market Uh, pretty soon. We should be, uh, yeah, it'd probably take about three or four weeks to get it all completely finished and on the website, but we have fasting gum on the way that you'll be able to purchase, um, very, very soon. Um, can you explain some of the uh, stuff that's in the fasting gum and, yeah. and uh, why it's in there? Yeah, boy. Um, you know, there's this thing when collaborators get together that, that, that you know, they're going to be overly rosy and ass kissy about something, you know. I'm not. This is, oh my gosh, this, this thing is fantastic. Like, I'm in. This thing is absolutely fantastic. It's um, fasting gum. And so 
Mark asked me to design it, and it's got, number one, it's got trellose in it. So trellose is a sugar that helps with autophagy. And we've combined that with um, apigenin and then uh, rutin. And apigenin does a lot of things. It helps uh, restore flavonoids in the gut. It increases fat oxidation. It does a whole bunch of things. Uh, helps, helps even replete um, NAD. And rutin is a cousin of curcumin. So all the things that you, know, you see, all the pathways that need to be activated with fasting, you see it helps a lot with that. And um, it's got a little bit of caffeine, which is interesting. It's only got 25 milligrams of caffeine, but the amazing thing is like because it's right there on the tongue, it's like the perfect, just perfect like pick-me-up. It's really good. Like you, you kind of like, oh, I had one, you know, another hour and a half. I need another one. It's great. Yeah, I think it's, I think you got a really great skew here. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've had it and it tastes good. Really good. <laughs> it tastes good. Really good, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And, um, you know, we it was hard to, the hardest part was just trying to, you know, squeeze all those uh, nutrients into a thing of gum and then to try to figure out like, okay, probably people are going to have two or three of these every single day. So, or maybe even four, depending on how long they're fasting for. Um, And, you know, I've used gum as a strategy before for fasting, uh, just as I've used coffee and anything. So there's going to be some people just kind of, as always, they're going to say, why can't you just chew regular gum? (laughs) You certainly could, uh, but this is just going to help encourage your fast, maybe make it a little easier, especially with the caffeine may suppress the appetite just a pinch. So I'm just like, I'm really pumped about it, really excited yeah, about it. No, and seriously. it's uh, kind of the first of its kind. It, it, it is, I, geez, I wish I'd come up with it. I mean, it is, uh, I think this could be big. I really do. Because it, Tony Huge was like completely baffled. I handed him some. I don't know if you know Tony, but I handed him some and he's like, what the, what is this? I was like, I don't know, give it a shot. He really, he really liked it a lot. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's, uh, it's right into that thing I've been talking about of amplifying fasting. So you take this in the morning when you're starting to fast. The other thing is you don't get hungry. Right. You don't get hungry on this stuff. So um, it's a great tool set. I mean, it's really fantastic. How can people find out more about your book? Oh, uh, yes, The Immunity Code. If you haven't read it, read it. <laughs> and if you have, uh, I, I'll probably offer this. Uh, so... It's, we're coming up on two years since uh, I published it, and we broke a lot of ground on this podcast, actually, with it. We're talking about Acromancia. Which yeah, by the way, I heard somebody describing who Joel Green was, and the introduction was that he's been on Ben Greenfield's podcast. I was like, give me a break. <laughs> anyway, they should have mentioned that you're on this podcast. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, the thing was, uh, we broke Acromancia on this podcast, and nobody had ever heard of it, and... Now it's like exploding. Everyone, oh, Acromancia. And there were a lot of concepts that were in there. So um, Amazon, you can get mm-hmm. it. Um, you can get it on uh, beatnutrition.com. And then in this, uh, I talked about a new approach to um, long-term fat loss. And there's a course I have now called the Immune-Centric Fat Loss Course, mm. which I've had um, quite a few people go through. And I'll be releasing some of their testimonials here um, probably this month. And just really wonderful testimonials to it. It's the first... It's the first fat loss program that's ever dealt with what happens post-fat loss. And so there's all these things that happen post-fat loss that really for about 95% of people mean they're going to regain the weight. And so it's the first time we've ever put something in place to correct those things for the average person. And so it's been working. So, yeah. And then my Instagram is real Joel Green. So I'd love to have you follow me. Yeah, it seems to be huge, uh, a huge problem for a lot of people. A lot of people... Um, have figured out how to lose weight. A lot of people have found diets that work and they drop 10 pounds, they drop 20 pounds. And sometimes uh, 
for many reasons, they end up not only gaining the weight, but they end up gaining the weight back. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time, what you sometimes see from people is this kind of perpetual yo-yo dieting, and they will kind of continually, without really recognizing it, they're not trying to do this, um, but they're compromising their body fat percentage kind of over and over again because it goes back and forth between a lot of undereating and then a lot of overeating. And when they overeat, they're not necessarily overeating the nutrients that would help hold muscle mass or help build muscle mass. And they're not ha- they don't have any habits that are lending itself to improving muscle mass or improving body fat percentage. And so therefore, every time they try to diet, it continually gets a little bit tougher. It gets a little bit harder. And I've heard you talk about this and I've have not heard anyone else ever talk about this, but you talked about the fat cells shrinking mm-hmm. and how the fat cells, you can almost envision them as having like bands hooked to them. And they are just, as, as it shrinks, that band tension continues to increase and increase and increase. And the very second that you start eating back to your regular calories mm. that you're used to, uh, those, the potentiation of the, of the bands is now, going to be uh, invoked by you starting to overeat again and it's easier and easier to put on bo- body fat again yeah it gets to this really interesting phenomena um, i call it the fat loss paradox um i've got three more books i'm going to do um <laughs> yeah, uh, never say never um <laughs> one of them is going to be on that another is going to be on the uh, immunity or rather the, the immunity code diet but it all ties into this which is something that like i'm just after what seems to work long term for real people and when you look at the average person, the study showed like some like eighty percent of them are going to regain the weight in twelve months, ninety five percent within five years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you start to go, well, why? Why is this happening? Um, when you dig into the biology of fat cells, you start to see some. No one's talked about kind of very fascinating things. One of those things is fat cells exist in Spider Man's webbing. Okay, think of Spider Man's webbing holding a bunch of globs up. Okay, and that's called the ECM. It's the exoskeleton that surrounds your fat. What happens is when those cells shrink, you're stretching Spider-Man's webbing, and some of those strands break, okay? A lot of them break. And so what happens is in the process of them breaking, they're pulling the fat cell. Think of it that way. And the fat cell gets a little bit damaged. The ECM gets damaged. So that's got to get fixed. The cheapest way to fix it, as far as the body's concerned, is just fill the cell back up. That's cheap. It doesn't cost anything. So just fill the cell back up. The more expensive route is to repair things. Repairs cost money. So what you see is that in the process of re-shrinking the ECM to make it fit the fat cell again and fixing everything, collagen fibers that are sort of reactive in nature get loaded into the ECM. And so you see like a greater density of uh, different types of collagen. You'll see what's called collagen 6A3. And... We see this in obesity. That's, a, that's like a clear-cut case. So if you t- have someone with obesity, they have loads of collagen 6A3 in their extracellular matrix. And the net of that is that you get these imbalances of the wrong kind of immune cells in your fat. You get this inflammation going on. You can't fix that just by shrinking the fat. You've got to take other steps. You also see it with repeated weight loss. So what happens with repeated weight loss is you start to see a greater density of inflammatory collagen fibers. And it's a reaction to an injury. It's just like your knee, you know, you, you did sports, you injured your knee, you fix it, um, you go back, you re-injure it, you know, and over time what happens is the knee doesn't work like it used to. You see something very similar with body fat. You start to see um, a stiffening of the ECM. You start to see inflammatory signals in your body fat. 
over time. And so that nets out into this phenomena of like, yeah, you know, uh, it's getting really hard to drop body fat. It used to be easier. You know, what's going on? Well, yeah, part of that absolutely is metabolic issues and things like that. But there are unaccounted for things that are just now being recognized that I, I went to like a, a lot of length in the immunity code to kind of lay those out. You have genetic issues. So you have genes that are very specific. Um, they don't happen in everybody. So you'll always have outliers. You'll have, you know, this person ah, didn't, didn't work for me. But one thing that's never really been talked about is the first timer phenomenon. So what you'll see is when someone is a first timer, meaning like, you know, they were kind of, kind of overweight their whole life and they decided I'm going to make a change. And I've talked to doctors about this and everybody says the same thing. It's like, oh man, I salivate when one of those comes in because that is your easiest win. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have this history of weight cycling. So that's the one where you can do the big before after pictures and go look, blah, blah. And they have the highest likelihood of it sticking. Mm. Okay. Um, And that's because they, they, they don't have this history of shrinking, expanding, shrinking, and expanding the adipose mass. But what you see most often is you see all of these mechanisms post fat loss that start to kick in. And now this last year, science finally starting to recognize it. There was a conference held on what's called the weight reduced state, which is all this stuff I'm talking about here. And they're still kind of in the infancy of that. They're not really talking about like the specific proteins and genes and collagen fibers and all that we need to correct. But if you study this, what you come to is like, wow, there's this massive missing piece of the equation. It's more important than the fat loss piece. The fat loss piece is hard, like really hard, uh, very often to get people to drop body fat. The harder part is getting them stable in that first year, okay? And so there's a period of about four months to a year where you have all these things going on that are unique to that stage. You have these genes activated, you have these collagen fibers being made, you have hormones, you have adiponectin, you have leptin, you have all this stuff going on, you have what's called the energy gap, and all these things at once are like odds, you have on one side of the equation, the things against you, and then the other side, the things for you. And for most people, it's like this. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll, you'll hear kind of in the fitness landscape, things that are sort of, no, oh, that's BS because you just got to do X, Y, and Z. Well, if you think about it ancestrally speaking, when our ancestors were starving, okay, and they got game, what did they do after they got game? They had to go back out and hunt again. Okay. So they had to go expend a bunch of energy to go and get more food. Well, in this modern ecosystem, if you're not in the fitness ecosystem, you don't do that post diet. Most people just, ah, oh, I got busy and I had to do this, I had to do that. So they're not replicating going back out and hunting. Yeah. So they're not making up for what our ancestors used to do. And so that kind of skews our view of things a little bit. But if you just think about the average person in the average, you know, working their nine to five job, they go on a diet. You know, they lose some weight, blah, 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 blah. And then all these mechanisms kick in that nobody's really talked about that are totally uncompensated for. And then, then they get into chronic weight cycling. Yeah. That's the problem. Because once you see with chronic weight cycling, number one, you have a probably a higher risk of all-cause mortality. And then you see long-term diminishing returns. It gets very, very hard to drop weight over time. And that, I see that all the time. I see people, yeah, you know, I, I, did, I did this program, I did that program in the 90s, then I did this, then I did that. And gosh, I just can't lose weight anymore. I was lean, I was so ripped. Look at my pictures. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What's the deal with Jello? You oh. have mentioned before, <laughs> yeah. waking up more jacked after having Jello. And then Ron Pennon was like, I noticed that too. What's the deal with what? Jello? Is this any Jello? Like Jello you get from the <clears throat> store? Like, oh, yeah. That, by the way, Jello, Jello, Jello was what turned Ron on me. Ron was like, eh, I wasn't sure if you were full of crap all those years, but I think you might be onto something. <laughs> what? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, glycine, uh, what's in Jello, 
it, it's beneficial in a lot of different ways. Uh, it's great for the gut. It's really good for stimulating adipendectin. So um, there's a there's a little test you can do, which is taking Jello at bedtime, and and I more than often than not heard people who do it. I've done it, and just yeah, yeah, a little bit leaner when I woke up. I could tell, yeah. Oh, what <laughs> and so it's glycine, glycine in in you know decent doses. Uh, doing that at bedtime, uh, you get better insulin sensitivity. You get a, you like get a bunch of things. Glucogenic kind of right, even though it's a protein source or amino acid source. Or... It it just helps. Um, it helps the helper hormones around insulin. So it helps adiponectin, which helps insulin sensitivity. So, yeah. Very cool. I have a question, and this mm-hmm. is a selfish one because we kind of touched on it, but can you talk to people about the benefits of the ancestral squat and why you do it as often as you potentially do it? Yeah, you poop better for one thing. There we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, in t- When I was writing the book in 2017, 2018, I was doing these seminars to proof the ideas that worked and the ones that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I would do is have everybody get in a circle. We, you know, we get all ancestral and we squat down. And then I had this little speech where I was like, for thousands of years, <laughs> humans got in circles <laughs> and talked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the only thing that was missing was drums and a fire. It would have been great. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So when you look at little kids, when you look at communities, ancestral communities, many times a day, people get into a squat. Mm-hmm. When they go to the bathroom, when they're just kids are playing in the dirt. And there's a number of benefits that um, seem to be connected to that. You could probably speak to it better than I could because you, you're far more down that road than I am. But just cursory, um, it helps the muscles in the um, in the colon, helps them to kind of align properly so you poop better. Um, it helps strengthen the joints and, you know, the, the ligaments and all that stuff. And it's um, it's to me, it's part of keeping the body young mm-hmm. is, is just daily kind of at bedtime. I do yoga flows at bedtime and then I always kind of, I do two to four and I just, I kind of finish in the squat before I go to palms to the ground. And I just kind of finish in the squat for yeah, 10 to 30 seconds. Whatever. How long does a uh, yoga stuff take before you go to bed? It's like brushing your teeth, probably a few minutes. Not, not too bad. You know, it's, it, I think that you need every day. So, you know, we've talked about how often do you get to the gym, me, and I love to get in more. I just, you know, I've been kind of making the only thing I can guarantee is Saturdays, but Every day you have to do something. That's the key. And so no matter what, if I miss everything else, I never miss those bedtime yoga flows, no matter what, ever. What's the deal with these tangerines that you've been (laughs) talking about? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Tangerentin. Yeah. uh, Tangerentin is a – so (laughs) there it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Tangerentin, it's it's a – I guess you can call it a supplement. It's a, it's a flavone. It's something that you find in citrus peels. And it, um, it does a lot of different things. Um, it's funny. I posted that on my Instagram and then I went to this peptide conference and two days later, you know, it was here for all the thought leaders. Tangerotin. <laughs> Go take it out there. Oh, but um, it's, it's, it's um, probably like something to, to investigate and check out and see if it makes sense. It's kind of hard to find right now, you but eat the peels. So <clears throat> citrus peels, there's a lot of goodies in citrus peels. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we look at citrus, um, orontium and things that come from that. Um, tangerentin is a compound in citrus peels, but there's a supplement called Centriol and life extension has a bunch of other habit and you can, it really helps with cholesterol and probably helps with some other stuff. So it's, you know, you can research it and see if it makes sense to you. Guys, you got to go to, like, if you're listening right now, go to Joel's, go to Joel's page and follow him because mm-hmm. there's so much info in every single post. 
It's like you will learn a lot. <laughs> so go follow right now if you haven't already. Links in the description as well as podcast real, show notes. Real yeah. Joel Green. Learn anything cool or weird at the peptide conference that could help make us more mutants than we already are? Ah, yes. Plasmologins. Of course. Plasmologins, yeah. Plasmolog- uh, plasmologins, they are uh, phospholipids. Mm-hmm. So they are these fats that... Um, phospholipids are just fats that are present in cell membranes. And... um I heard a really fascinating talk on um, plasmologins that really correlates to the lack of them being the thing with uh, Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. So, like, I saw some amazing graphs and some correlates between, like, early death, lack of plasmologins, um, Alzheimer's and lack of plasmologins. And I, I, was, I was sold by the graph. I was like, okay. I need these. <laughs> I learned of them a few years ago, and uh, there wasn't really a great way to get them. And now there's some supplements that have them, but they're they're kind of pricey. Um, but you know, I think I think we'll see them blowing up here. In any type one. of habits? I, mean, I know I have to ask you that out there, but any type of habits to preserve the plasmologens that you currently have, like daily habits, things that might help with that. Well, um, that gets under. The, so there's an umbrella that used to kind of be the thing, and that was. Um, that was phosphatidylcholine or choline and, and its sort of cousins um, having that in the diet to keep cell membranes doing its thing. So lecithin and things like that. And um, it, it's, I think over the years, it's been supplanted by so many other things. It's kind of like going to the natural product show and there's a billion products and you're like, they're all essential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one? So um, I, I just think that comes back to keeping cell membranes supple. And keeping them uh, injury-free over time is is one of the most important pieces of the equation. And under the umbrella of um, cholines and phosphatidylcholines and all the derivatives of that, um, there's a really good case to have that as part of what you do, whether it's in the form of lecithin or you can go more advanced. And there's a lot of products out there that help with that um, that you, know, you could look at. Plasmologens are kind of the latest. Um, but yeah, they got me sold on it. So Keeping cell membranes supple. Mm-hmm big idea on things to do for that we've probably already talked about some stuff like that but uh omega omega fats are kind of the big thing for that so you just you know you need them in the diet the the main thing with the omega fats is that you got to have some antioxidant when you're taking them because you can get too much oxidation of these phospholipids in the serum Mm. and then that's works the reverse so um you see with you see with um sanitarians very long-lived people you see um they're very good at negating the oxidation of these these um, types of fats in their serum. So mainly it's just the simple thing is just take some antioxidants when you're taking them. Vitamin okay. C, emergency, something. Cool. Yeah. Learn something new there. Yeah. <clears throat> what are a couple maybe take-homes people can have from this uh, show? Um, I, I want people to understand that even though um, – even though you uh, use a lot of words that people may be unfamiliar with, your immunity code book breaks things down really, really well and is very concise and anyone can read it. And you actually, you go over the jargon, you go over the science, and then it kind of says key points. And that's what I, I that's what, that's what I refer to. Cause I'm like, I don't know about reading this whole book, but I keep looking <laughs> at the key points and then I'll go back and I'll, I'll kind of read some of the stuff you wrote and it makes it easier for me to understand and uh, digest. But uh, I know like one of your key points and one of the things you talk about a lot is uh, kind of organization of food and thinking of your food and maybe uh, thinking about what you, what you've eaten previously 
what you're about to eat and what you're going to eat later. And you have had me try this before and it actually was really effective. Um, And we've talked about this on this show before, but the second meal effect um, where you were saying, Hey, you know, maybe have a protein shake and like half an avocado or a protein shake and some uh, extra virgin olive oil before you have your meal when you're coming off of a fast and it could help uh, regulate your glucose levels a little bit better, th- things of that nature. So what are some good take-homes like that that people can kind of uh, implement or practice uh, when they get done listening to this show? Probably the simplest is uh, the preload meal. So the preload meal is a little tiny meal uh, prior to your, your, your lunch or your dinner. And so think of it this way. What's really common, particularly if you have weight issues, is that, number one, you chew too fast. And number two, you don't get full fast enough. So what happens is you're, you know, you eat your meal and I'm not full, so I'm going to go eat some more. And then, so that is one of the greatest uh, offenders of excess calories Mm -hmm. is you're just, you don't feel full fast enough. So a hack or a way to trick body is that you take what's called a preload meal. So you take a small meal prior to that bigger meal. And under the aegis of preload meals, there's a lot of different like functions, a lot of different ways you can do this, but uh, one that's very effective if the goal is satiety is like a small fat meal. So it could be like an egg or, you know, a tablespoon of peanut butter. What happens is it gets in the gut and activates those satiety signals. So it takes about 20 minutes. And then by the time you get in that main meal, so, you, you know, you're, you're plowing through that main meal and then the satiety signals start to hit earlier. And so the net is you took in a little more calories prior to the meal, but you ate a whole hell of a lot less at the meal. Mm. You remember when we were like, like we still do this, but like eating eggs as like, just like, so, so I still do this and I, I didn't realize that that might, that might be a thing that's going on, but like uh Costco has boiled eggs that are already pre-made mm, yeah. and we, I also got this, uh, this, uh, egg maker from Amazon. That's really dope. But if I'm ever feeling like huh, I'm kind of hungry, I'll eat like three eggs or five mm-hmm. eggs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then after I eat that, I'm like, am I actually hungry? And then like, I'll like, then I might eat something, but I don't eat nearly as much. Uh, if I have some eggs beforehand, it's usually like, it's like, it's my litmus test. If I'm truly hungry, that's pretty funny. That's dope that that works that way. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times when I've come home from the gym, I'll eat something small and some of the, some of this based off of what you were saying and some of it I was doing, I think intuitively I'll eat something small. Then I take a shower and then I come back and I eat my dinner with my family usually. And I also have been doing this for years in, um, in, uh, if I go to like a restaurant or especially if I'm going to go shop, I always eat something small before I go shop. Cause I'm like, I'm going to buy a bunch of crap if I, if I'm super hungry. So I'll go to the grocery store. I end up making a little bit better choices. And by the time I come home and cook, I'm not like as ferociously hungry, you know, I had something. So I think for people to kind of, uh, you know, feed yourself and, you know, give your, give yourself something. So that way you can kind of be a little bit more calm going into the situation of mm. you're about to eat. And I think you could use this for anything. I mean, you can even pre, you can even, uh, kind of preload yourself before you go and have, let's say you're going to an Italian restaurant or a restaurant where there's not a lot of great, uh, there's not a lot of great healthy choices. I think you can eat before you go and you most likely will probably eat quite a bit less or you might be more reasonable with your meal um, rather than just going and having, you know, a 2000 calorie bomb of whatever the heck it might be. Yeah. There's, there are, are kind of simple big moves that I think the average person can do to knock out like the majority of what's doing damage. And one of them is just you're eating too much. So the preloads are a great way to kind of get back up the time of the, of the satiety signals and get them in the range of like, you're still eating. Oh, I'm starting to get full. I'm good. And so that's a big deal. Um, getting people to 
get full within the meal versus 20 minutes later after the meal. That's that's a huge deal. And that's just stupid simple. Preloads, you, you can do a lot with preloads. You can, you can, so we're talking under the umbrella of satiety, but you can, you can, there's other umbrellas. We can, we could go into like basically um, getting glucose and insulin to function better. So you can do other types of preloads prior to a meal that actually help clear glucose better. In other words, glucose area into the curve and help insulin work better. And there's good research on that. You can do a whey protein shake. You add some cinnamon, you add some uh, berry phenols, some resistant starch. You add all that, wait 30 minutes. And there's, there's good data on this showing like, wow, you get these improvements in all kinds of parameters by, by doing that. So preloads, preloads are kind of like, um, what's the analogy? I guess it's like, it's like a choke. There's variations on the choke. You know, there's all kinds of ways to, I get around CMI, I start talking in jujitsu talk. <laughs> so there's all kinds of variations on a choke and um, it, it, you can do the choke from different angles, different adjustments, different little things, and you get these sort of different outcomes. Nice. Currently, you're focusing on gaining muscle in your 50s. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, has, what are some big things that you would suggest for some of our viewers that are in their 40s and 50s that maybe they need to pay more attention to as they're trying to put on some muscle currently? I can just tell you what I'm noticing. Um, You're still looking pretty damn jacked, I got to add. Thanks, man. I'm, and I know you said you don't have the, the time or, or you're not able to make the same commitment as you were previously, but you still look great. Thank you, man. Yeah. yeah. We had a fun little workout today prior to this. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Got to see these monsters. Yeah. Your, uh, your brain warm up. You're like, I need some energy. And Andrew's like, <laughs> I'll get you so an energy cool. drink. And then you're like hopped in the gym and started bench pressing. Uh, <laughs> that was cool. Like, uh, I've never done, I've never done the, uh, bench to the floor. floor. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Floor press. Yeah. So we did, we did, uh, like you showed me, um, this cool variation for the tries, just benching to the floor. That was really cool. And then you had this crazy lap machine. Oh yeah, the steel yeah, rail. That thing is cool. that thing's amazing. You you are a uh, you are our first guest that we had witnessed drinking Redline. By the way, <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, years ago the Rock took some Redline and he thought it was the beginning of the end. He thought he was going to die. I, was, I didn't even feel it. it was... <laughs> See, you're, you're a better man than the Rock. There we oh, go. We got, yeah, now right. we <laughs> that, uh, now we got proof. Dwayne, if you're listening, he said it. And... <laughs> Don't you're going to get a rock bottom out. Don't kick my ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was cool doing that. Um, but muscle right now, I just tell you what I'm figuring out right now. So I went through COVID. Um, I did the COVID munch, put on some pounds just from isolation and all that lockdown. And then um, I just, gosh, man, I lost about six, seven pounds of muscle just because there were no gyms open. Mm -hmm. And um, I, Got so desperate one day. I drove down in Corona Del Mar, down back alleys, looking for a gym. I found a gym open. I was like, please. And I, I you know, bribed this guy. He let me in. Let me, gave me a key. He's like, okay, shut up. So I found a gym. Um, and so, but then what I was noticing is just, um, it's, it's something harder to put back on it. But one thing is just getting back to some of the basics of, you still have to lift heavy and you still have to eat a bunch of food. There's no getting around those two things. You know, like you have to, for me, like two X calories and, and definitely go a little heavier. The trick with going heavier though, is you have to be much, much more careful about injury. So I, I'm just very careful and I don't have quite the set volume that I used to have. Mm -hmm. There's that. And then um, a big, big piece of the equation is a lot of post-workout work on the muscles and massaging the muscles and, you know, all that stuff. And just kind of throwing everything at it. Um, one thing that, gosh, really worked well for me was the EMS suit. Man, that was amazing. Um, yeah, I did this EMS suit, a company called Lightning Fit in Costa Mesa. And, wow, 
Oh my gosh. What does it do? Does it like pulsate the muscles? Oh, dude. Okay. You guys should come on down. I'll yes. get you a workout in it. Um, man. So what it does is it hits 100% of the muscles 100% of the time. And this particular suit, they have figured out these magic algorithms it that- burn some insane amount of calories, It does. Right? Yeah, no, it does. But here's the craziest part. And here, like, I know this is not BS because it's worked on me. And I've, I've heard tell of NFL athletes. Like I turned some other people onto this and who knew a bunch of people and said, oh, I'm going to bring in my NFL guys. Brought in some NFL guys. You do these stupid lightweights. You do yeah. like these fives and these eights, you know, this, is, this isn't going to do anything. You're wrecked with a K after it. You're destroyed. Okay. And I don't know. For me, they want you to work up to two workouts a week. I was like, I need one, you know, for about a month. And then uh, now I'm, I, I took a couple months off. I was doing other things, but I've gotten back where I could probably do two, two a week now. I just was putting muscle on in places I hadn't, you know, and you, you notice like, and my strength went through the roof. I was 20% stronger, 20% stronger. Does it kind of feel good too? Cause sometimes those EMS things, they kind of feel good. Like, especially if it's like, I don't know, hooked to like your back muscles and stuff like that. Or does it kind of hurt? Uh, you can overdo them. Is it hooked all over the place mm-hmm. the whole, for the whole workout? Only thing that it's not hitting is the delts. Even um, when you're doing curls, you're like, oh, there's like a, a, a thing on your butt or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> every muscle, every muscle in the body's going. So and, it's a full on suit on your legs too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Your hamstrings every, are flexing yeah. while yeah. you're doing a tricep yeah. push down. You guys got to come down for a day. I'll get you on one. So then do you even have to have a movement? Like, can you mm-hmm. just wear it? You, you, yeah, you need to have a movement, yeah, yeah for okay. sure. But you just don't need as much as you think you do. And you'll scoff initially at the weights. You'll be like, man. Is, is it pulsing in some sort of uh, opposite directions or something? Because like if, yeah. cause can, you, can you contract your hamstring and your quad at the same time? Like, why don't you fuck mm-hmm. yourself up kind of or no? No, it's, well, you can. So <laughs> there's levels to the suit. And it's like when you're doing this particular suit, there's a trainer who's dialing everything in and making sure and going, yes, no, yes, no. But man, I got kind of cocky one day. I thought, oh, I can handle more. I can take more. <laughs> so I had them really dial it up, and I thought I had rhabdo. I, I literally, man, I thought I blew out my body. It took three weeks to heal my bicep from that. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you can overdo it. But, um, you know, when you're with the trainers that understand how to work these things and they keep you in the right range, uh, it's, they are the future. There's no question. Um, these are going to change the world because aged populations have options they haven't had. Um, and athletes, they've got crazy data on athletic performance, like, like, like NFL level athletes improving their 40 going from like four, three to four, two, seven, like crazy numbers. What if you used it just on a walk or maybe you just did some like body weight squats and things of that nature? You think it would be pretty effective even for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's hitting all it's so even just, I'm thinking like pulling a sled. You know, mm-hmm. you pull a sled forward, backward. I mean, you could maybe, I, I, you can kind of already get great workouts from that, but I'm just kind of curious, like, man, if this thing's zapping your whole body, you know, and you're, yeah. you're doing a movement like that, it might be really effective. Are, and are you able to even like, I guess, keep your balance? Like if you're, if your quads <laughs> and your hamstrings are going at the same time, yeah. one's trying to pull, one's trying to push, yeah. you know, flex, flexion and <laughs> yeah. extension. Yeah. I'd imagine you're like kind of spazzing out the whole time. Like that, I don't know. It just, I just feel like your central nervous system would like just be fried if it's, everything's firing off. You're not fried. You're just by the end of the workout. You're, <laughs> you're, you come in scoffing. You, you come out like humble. That's <laughs> what I found. Like yeah. you come in like scoffing, like, you know, come on, you're not, you're not, you're talking to like this thing's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you come out going, Oh yeah. Okay, that thing fucked me up. It's working. So you're doing curls, but it's work. It like, it's working the back, the chest, 
it's hitting everything all at once. So your energy expenditure is through the roof on this thing. And then at the same time, your, uh, your time to work out in this particular suit is like 15, 10 minutes. It's crazy. So, okay, just because it's blowing my mind. But like if, so if you're doing a bicep curl, is your tricep working also? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then how did, how does your, how do you, how does your muscle know which way to, to go then if it's, again, like I said, if, it, if your arm's, you're trying to well, pull your Well, if you think about it, when you, if, you flex your, if you flex your bicep, you kind of almost can't flex your bicep without flexing your tricep, too. Like, if I came over there and grabbed your, grabbed your tricep while you're flexing your bicep, your tricep would be hard and full, you know? It is, it is uh, lengthening or stretching yeah. or whatever, but it's, like, not as simple as it just... So I, I, think, I, I think it makes sense that but you what, would be able to flex everything yeah, all the what time. What if you're trying to do a bicep curl and also flex your tricep at the same time? I've noticed that, um, I don't know the ins and outs of how mm-hmm. it all works, but what I've noticed is like, you can get an arm lockout really easy. Like, we're like okay, turn it down. Ah. Oh shit. Yeah. 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 So I guess that's probably what I'm, what I'm thinking about, like things firing off too many. Yeah. So that you makes can, sense. You yeah. can definitely do that. The craziest thing with those is strength gains. That's like the craziest thing I've noticed with it is the strength gains. Like, but I was, I, I got to know the CEO a little bit. Like, Hey, is this, and she's like, yep, sick. it does. So yeah, for, you know, um, both of you guys would really dig it. Cause you guys are kind of like, you know, competition level. Um, it'd be really interesting to see like what you guys noticed in, you know, your performance markers. That would be really interesting. That would be very see. interesting. Yeah. And you, my gosh, the, the freak of the decade here <laughs> would be, holy cow. I can't imagine you on this thing. I think it'd be really cool for people who have issues like activating certain muscle groups during workouts. Cause yes. a lot of people have that mind muscle connection issue, Yeah, you know, where they just can't get things firing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That would be and an older populations probably suffer for a lot from that, especially if they've never <laughs> like exercised. An older population. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not. I didn't point at you. I was just pointing at just like nobody. He's like, I was just thinking and, of old. He's like, and he's like this, Joel. You know that wasn't what like, I meant to do. <laughs> like, and older populations. <clears throat> not not saying anybody. That's not what I meant to do, Romy. That's not what I meant to do. I meant just like, you know, people who haven't worked out before. You've been working out since you were 13. That's not you. It's not you. It's just people who haven't. Uh, have you noticed any increase in mobility? Like, have you, tr- have you tried that, you know, and, and did like uh, your ancestral squats? I'm imagining if it's, you know, uh, making Ooh. things flex and fire that it w- uh, it's, I in my head, the way it works out is it would definitely help a lot. But I'm not sure. Mm, I think what I noticed on it was just, the trainers put you through different workouts than you'd normally do. Mm. Like it's easy to kind of get in your thing and they make you just do different things. And so that was a big part of it. I don't know specific to, yeah, probably just doing different movements. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. Andrew, take us on out of here. I will. Eightsleep.com slash power project. You get uh, $150 off automatically off of your pod pro mattress and cover or just your pod pro uh, cover links to them down in the description below as well as the podcast show notes. Uh, Joel's uh, Instagram and uh, his book will be down in the description as well. If you guys, you guys need to go follow him ASAP. And then if you want to check out the book, there's links to that down there as well. Follow the podcast at Mark Bell's power project on Instagram at MB power project on TikTok and Twitter. My Instagram and Twitter is at I am Andrew. Z and Sima, where you at? And Sima Yin Yang on Instagram and YouTube, and Sima Yin Yang on TikTok and Twitter. Joel, once again, you are at oh, uh, real Joel Green, real Joel yeah, Green. Instagram, yeah. All right, just because I like to embarrass and Sima whenever I have the opportunity. You've been a huge fan of bodybuilding for a long time, <laughs> right? Here we go. How does this guy kind of stack up to some of your favorite bodybuilders that you've seen over the years? I think Sima. I honestly think this dude. I think mm-hmm. that. 
you are this generation's Ronnie Coleman if you wanted to be. Like, if but we you don't know how I would respond. You know how some people are hyper responders to like those <laughs> things. Some people, some people don't respond stop. well. Just stop. <laughs> no, have you heard about stop. that? No, stop. This is you. If you wanted to gear up, man, you're like the second coming of Ronnie Coleman. If you wanted to, and and you know, it's I actually like your vibe. I like what you're doing, which is like you're 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 just you're just not on anything and i can tell and you know it's it's showing people what's possible which is fantastic um but just 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 to see the car crash i would love to see you <laughs> I, just, I just love to see it you know like like how far could this guy take it oh we should do it i like jujitsu i like walking around i like feeling good in clothes ronnie cool probably pretty good at jujitsu he probably would kick ass in jujitsu could you imagine ronnie coleman doing jujitsu bruh he would just hug people to yeah. death like could you imagine ronnie Dude, coleman's arm around your neck you can't arm bar off ronnie coleman by the way right because his arm will not extend right. he'll just hey. curl you in <laughs> it's, it's a really good defense yeah no you 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 just uh, i call him t'challa he's, he's yeah. like <laughs> no, i think it's just pretty like it's remarkable like it's cool to be, be next to him on the podcast yeah, every day I, and I, I, have the three of us uh doing our thing here but um what I think is cool and interesting is the fact that he's not trying to be a bodybuilder, especially at the moment. So no. that's what uh, we like to tease him about because mm-hmm. we're like, oh, we don't ever see him lift and he never eats. And we would just we right. like to fuck yeah. with him a lot. But I know. This is just your he does work very hard. This is your athletic sort of like he has you're to. training more athletically. But like if you were just if you were just like, you know, everybody want to bodybuild, but nobody want to lift heavyweight and you lift heavyweight and you're in it. I mean, good. I'm like, wow. I don't want to think like be crazy crazy do you I think do you would don't. grow faster now than you did previously because it seems like your bot well maybe just because you maybe it's just because you keep getting kind of leaner but it seems like your body has changed more in the last year than it did in the previous years that i knew you but that could also be it's just what because see. it's yeah it's because of what i see because you're getting leaner yeah. and it's it's more apparent yeah well i mean if you look at the dexa scans from like two years ago or a year ago to a year and a half ago to now, it says I put on like a pound and a half of muscle. Right. Um, and I'm not perpetually eating in a surplus of calories. Some right. days I'm in a deficit, some days I'm at maintenance. It's, it's like I've been keeping around right. the same weight. And you look way different than, than, a, than what is registered on the body fat exam. Yeah. But I also think that if I did go into a dedicated surplus focusing on trying to gain muscle, I think that I would put on quite a bit of body fat mm. while putting on a little bit of faster muscle no no but 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 follow me here joel because i can't like i've been training for a long like a lot of years now i think that i would put on muscle a little bit faster but i would in like let's say that i gained 10 i went from 240 to 260 this year i think that probably a good 12 pounds of that would be fat and a good eight pounds of that would be good lean body mass which is good for my training your genetic potential is so under fed right now i think if you fed to your genetic potential i I think you'd be like yeah so i hit 300 pounds and i didn't i gained i gained a half pound of fat yeah you were right (laughs) i I was 270 back in 2000 like uh you have a different capacity now your work capacity is a lot Mm -hmm. better so maybe it would be different yeah 300 might be a stretch 300 would be a stretch i I I don't think it's a stretch for you Mm -hmm. 300 joel i'm 240 right now that's 60 pounds 240 and you don't eat I eat. <laughs> but, okay, no. Okay. Obviously, you eat, but all I'm saying is you eat once or twice a day. Imagine if you had more meals 
what that would look like. I guess you eat you eat in a in amount right now that is allowing you to continuously get a little bit leaner. Whether that's a caloric deficit or not is probably mm-hmm. somewhat debatable. You're it's probably, like if we're looking at a weekly intake, it's a it's a caloric deficit. Right. But there are some days where I'm gonna. I'm, some days I eat like thirty five hundred, but some days I eat less because I'm not as hungry. Right. But if we're looking on a week to week basis, it's probably a slight deficit. <sighs> I, I it's not like daily. Bodybuilders are listening and they're like, he eats like a CrossFit chick. Yes, <laughs> yeah, dude. So yeah. to, to, I, like yesterday, yesterday I tracked and I ate over three thousand calories and uh-huh. I was really really hungry. Yeah, I didn't eat like the greatest of food, but I just wanted to see where I was at. Uh-huh. And so if I'm putting down 3,000 calories easily and you're saying you eat 3,500. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On a, on a big day, I eat 3,500. So like, I'm eat 4,000 There's a huge discrepancy like between you and I. And if you're yeah. only eating that much more, imagine what you, you should be eating way more. But again, it's the years. Because I've been like, I've been, even if I've dedicated time to just bodybuilding and gaining weight. I've already been lifting yeah. for a long time that that muscle gain is just like, I could, I think I could get to a, I think I could get to a lean 260. Like, and when I say, <laughs> when I say lean 260, no. I mean like 12%, 11% body fat at 260. I think I could do that, Dude, but 272, like 270, and I know I'm different now than I was in 2015, but 270 was kind of uncomfortable. It, it, 260, 10% body fat. Let's go for it. Yes. <laughs> okay, so. okay, listen. I think you are in the range of like Flex Wheeler-ish genetic potential. Right. Flex went from yeah. uh, 220 to 260, 40 pounds, you know, and yeah. we talked to Flex on that. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, hell, I felt better, actually. I, I think, and you're, you're taller than Flex, so I, I think you could, I think you're in that range of like capable of similar things, but I think it would turn into 50 or 60 pounds in your case. You know, That's like we asked wild, Flex dude. about certain things. He was like, yeah, that took me three or four. And I was, thought for sure he's going to say years. <laughs> he's like months. And I was like, yeah. oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Do you think so? 300 pound in SEMA is still natty? No. Okay. No, no, no. See, no, that's what we're no. talking. Like, I, like I can't. Like, that's what I was talking. Oh, about. I mean, I, no, I don't mean that. Mean I, no, I, I mean, I mean, car crash scene. Got it. Oh, car yeah. crash. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. No, no, yeah, I don't mean. I, no, I mean, I mean, geared to the nines. Like, just. Yeah. I can agree with that. Oh, okay. That's all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can no, agree that's, with that. I think everybody wants to see that. <laughs> I don't. Why don't you guys do a vote and see? Like, yeah. Does everybody want to see? No. I think that will be the first time we ever put a poll out that gets zero for no. Everyone's gonna want to see it. But everyone already thinks I'm on, so like it's like it is what it is. Isn't that funny? Like I I've seen enough bodies to know like Ed where I could tell it with you is in the in the buys and the tries. That's where it really shows it. You know, uh-huh. like like I just know How? what is it? It's just it's it's your it's your relative muscle belly density to the rest of your body. Like either your back, your back's like, oh the guy's on something. He's you know, Christmas tree back and all that. And you're but, also not like your body looks very chill right now. Right. Whereas somebody that's on stuff, a lot of times, it's, especially if someone's right. on, on a good amount of gear, right. their body will look, it's weird to say, but their body will look aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will like look like angry, you know, it'll like be very uh, like vascular and, yeah. and uh, the skin type even kind of looks a little yeah. different. It's also the way that the, the muscle belly seams sit, you know, it's the way the seams sit. They're just, there's a natural sort of like, um, there's a natural wateriness there. That you that that you see in natural athletes that you not out of proportion, which is usually a telltale Mm -hmm. sign. Someone has just fucking gigantic biceps or gigantic chest, exactly. That's and then they're kind of missing elements of some other pieces Mm -hmm. of the puzzle. You're like, that guy probably always had a fairly big chest. Then he get on shit, and then bam, like that stuff just grew. Yeah, gotcha. Totally. We're done embarrassing. I want everyone in the comment section to say we want 300 pound Enzima. 
Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. I'm at Mark Smelly Bell. Strength is never a weakness. Weakness never strength. Catch you guys later. Thank you.